This week on Invasion of the Podcast, the Guardians get the gun. And we talk about the man behind the poster, Drew Struzan. And it's suns out, guns out, as we take a spring break quiz. We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a spaceship. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. People of the attention. It's the invasion of the podcast. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? And welcome to Invasion of the Podcast, where we try to take over the world one listener at a time. I am Paul, and to my left, and who was in front of me at McDonald's, it's Steve. Hey, everyone. So before we started the show, uh, you know, I told I told Steve, I was like, I'll be at my place at a certain time. He's like, okay. And then I kind of got back over to my ta- part of town a little earlier, so I'm like, I'm going to hit the drive-thru. And the line's taking forever, and I'm wondering what's going on. And then I see this asshole in a red car in front of me. <laughs> And I realized it's Steve, and I'm like, oh, he's not an asshole. It like, was me. <laughs> but, like, it, it wasn't – you but weren't I the t- reason why the line was, like, being <laughs> held up. It's, like, it's just – since McDonald's, like, a lot of them have changed to having, like, the, the two lanes that turn into yeah. one. I, I have not been to one that has, like, handled that, like, well. Yeah, because um, I actually got there after you, <laughs> and I got ahead of you Yeah, because the, the lady told me, she's like, can you wait? And I'm like, yeah. And then I'm like, she didn't tell me how long, and I didn't want to <laughs> – I didn't want to be like, uh – uh, you know, I don't want to yeah. be like that guy. So I, I'm sure every time I go to a drive-thru, it's like a psychological experiment to see how long they can screw with me just until I get uncomfortable. Because mm. I'm usually just like, oh, I just do their job. You know, weeks go by. I haven't gotten served yet. But no, you got your food and you came over. You got to my place before I did because so <laughs> I didn't mean this turn into McDonald's conversation, but the special on the board outside said buy one fish filet or filet of fish, get one for like a quarter or something. I don't know what it was. And I'm like, well, then that must mean they have a bunch of them. Right. Like, so I'm like, I'll just get two of those. They, they must have like a wheelbarrow full of them. They're just going to like, you know, <laughs> like it should be something that's e- easily available yeah. if they're advertising it. No, they're like, can you pull up to the second window? And I'm like, well, like, why? Like, I just, whatever. So I just, it was very frustrating because I always play like that McDonald's roulette of like, like okay, I'm going to pick, they, they, this has to be something they can make easily. Then I'm always the, the, the jerk that has to go pull up and wait for food so yeah. yeah i always assume it's gonna take them forever to make anything because <laughs> uh, most of the time when they make me wait i still get cold food so well there there is a mcdonald's over on the east side of cleveland and this is very oddly specific that they actually like have like uh placards for like service and like time you go there like no matter what time of day it is you're out within like five six minutes like it wow. is like they have signs saying, please have your order ready when you get to like, like they're like telling you, like, you're not holding up the process. Like, wow. And they're like, make sure you have your money out when you like, it's very like, it's awesome. Like you're just hmm. out. Like, I don't know why would, the rest of them can't I, learn that. But, I was you know. going to say, I'm surprised that the rest haven't adopted that policy. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, that's enough fast food talk. Unless we, we wander into fair food. That might be something. <laughs> we'll this episode is brought to you by the filet of fish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a special, but you're going to have to wait for it. Um, so yeah, uh, this show we're going to be talking about Drew Struzan, an amazing artist that uh, made posters for movies that you love, and you may not know who he is, but we're going to talk more about him. And he made posters for movies that you don't love either, but That's you true. love the posters. That's fair. Like, 
uh, I would I would take almost probably any one of his posters and be like, you know, like take or leave the movie, but I'll take the artwork. Yeah. You know? So that's we'll be talking about that later. Um, it wouldn't be the show without talking about Folia Fish and our weekends. Uh, thankfully, uh, I don't have I, I had no life, so I just stayed mm-hmm. at home. Uh, St. Patrick's Day happened. I did not go out. Um, I'm not really a St. Patrick's guy. I, uh, I someone on, on Twitter said that St. Patrick's Day is for all those people in high school that peaked then they get to go outside wearing North Face and yelling all day. And I'm like, that's it's <laughs> kind of how I feel about it. So I, I stayed yeah. inside. I've never actually celebrated St. Patrick's Day. So. I, I, I'm not Irish or I mean, yeah. I don't think I am. I don't really know my, my heritage like in that regard. But it's like I if, even if I was, I still don't feel like my need would be like, you know, what I'm going to go out there and just be belligerent to everybody because it's like. I could do that any day of the week when I choose to. I don't need one particular day. Sure. You know, like, so I don't know. I just, I just don't do it. And so I stayed at home and I watched some movies. Um, we'll talk about one of those in a second and our news or two of them, I should say. And, but I ended up getting around. I'm trying to get to at least doing podcast like content for this show and the other show that I do. Sometimes it takes up the weekend. So I don't always yeah. get to get to stuff that I'm like, look, like I love everything that we talk about on the show. Don't get me wrong. But when you set aside time to do it, then you don't get to other things sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm trying to like get, like watch stuff that I'm not particularly setting up for a podcast, so that way I can at least be like I'm still engaging with other things. Um, yeah, I don't know. That probably- Watching a movie doesn't sound like work sometimes, but it's like, oh, you know, I only have this much time available, and I have to do this. Yeah, and not having the choice of doing something else, it it doesn't make it seem like work, but it also doesn't feel like you got to choose what you're doing. That, that's fair, and I, so that is one of the sacrifices. And I appreciate Steve's like always, you know, coming to the plate for this stuff. But it's like that's why we picked Captain Marvel because I'm like, well, we're going to go see the theater <laughs> so it's like maybe we can double dip and be like we're going to have fun but then we'll get to talk about it on a podcast and i'll be honest if we were doing the uh the, the uh um year of canon uh 10 to midnight next week we would probably be talking about us because i'm pretty sure we're both going to see the, the film us yeah i mean we'll be talking yeah. about us too um yeah we, we, we might do a quick couple minutes about that next week because i already bought my tickets so yeah, we're gonna I, go um i already told kathy i'm like i want to go see the this weekend so. yeah so um yeah anyway so if it wasn't for freaking uh, my grandiose plans of the year of canon you guys would be like oh that sounds like a re- like us would be a cool thing to talk about no we're talking about an older charles bronson <laughs> movie that's what we'll be doing but anyway so at this point they're all old uh, <laughs> they're all charles, charles bronson, bronson movies. movies that's that's true i i think even when they were out like current they were old charles bronson movies that's uh, fair so I, I got around. I finally got around to watching Turbo Kid, which has been out for what, what three years now, something like that. Maybe uh, a little bit I longer. Feel like maybe even a little bit longer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it is a. It was a uh, French Canadian production. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, it's available for streaming right now on Prime. It was on Netflix for the longest time. I don't think it's there anymore. Uh, it is like it. <laughs> There's a lot of these movies that do like this retro vibe of like it's the it's the future, but this was set in 1997. Clearly, you know, kind of yeah. tongue in cheek, and you know, the world's kind of gone to hell, and you know, it's just it's you you got it's like Mad Max like meets like um like Mega Man is how I've heard that's described, and it's like kind of that where it's like this kid on his own has I like that this world that like bikes are like the way to be like bicycles yeah like, and it's like that kind of makes sense. Uh, 
but yeah, it was a cool little movie. Like I really, really enjoyed it. And, yeah, the, and you, the music and it's amazing. Like, yeah, the music's amazing. You got Michael Michael Ironside uh, is the villain, um, and oh, I I'm blanking on the girl's name the, now. The robot. Her name was yeah. Apple. Apple is amazing. Like I I loved her when I went and saw it uh, in the theater for uh, Dread Central Presents last year. There was a girl dressed up as Apple. I didn't know who she was before the movie started. I was like, well, that's kind of a weird cosplay. <laughs> and then, like, after the movie got done, I was like, oh, my God, that's amazing. Yeah, she's a character that, like, at first, it's like, you're like, I don't know. But then her the, the actress that plays the part and just some of her reactions to things, it's mm-hmm. like, you can't help but just, like, fall in love with her, like, in the sense of, like, what she is. And it's like, it's... Just yeah, it's it, it if if she that part could have been very annoying. Yeah. Um and she didn't make it annoying. And it was it's a delightful little film. Like it's gory as all get out, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Like there is <laughs> a lot of bloodshed in this film and a lot of spurting blood. Like not like like it's it's only in like action and horror movies do you have like the bit where the torso is just with jets of blood coming out of it. Like it's not it doesn't make sense, but it's kind of great, you know. Yeah. But no, Turbo Kid Awesome film. It was on my list of shame. Like that movie feels like it was tailor made for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just hadn't gotten to it. And I did now. And I recommend it to everybody. So that's my four years too late film review of Turbo Kid. I believe they're making a sequel to it, but yeah. that's been the talk for like last couple of years. Well, didn't so. the same, it's a collective of like three directors. Yeah. They just released that was a summer of 80, 84. 84. I have not seen that either, but I, I am now. I, I've been interested in that, hearing people talk about mm-hmm. it, but now I'm more so looking forward to it. So, yeah. Yeah. Definitely recommend Turbo Kid. Yeah. Um, for my weekend, uh, didn't really do much except for um, my wife's birthday was uh, in the middle of the week last week. So I was like, well, what do you want to do for the weekend? Something, you know, do something special, go out to dinner, da 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 da. And uh, she was like, well, she's like, I want to go see this interactive play um, called uh, Flanagan's Wake. I'm like, okay, well. What's that? And a long story short is, is it's it's a play about uh, a character named Flanagan who's passed away, um, and the entire thing is set at his wake, and the actors come into the aisles and interact with you at different points and eulogize the character, but they also do a little bit of like a who's any whose line is it anyway style okay. kind of thing. Um, but here's here's the thing that was, and it was a very good show. We had a great time. A uh, couple of things. One, it was in Playhouse Square. Didn't realize it was the same night when Michelle Obama was there. Oh, so, no. like, traffic was probably horrible. Traffic wasn't great, but also security because yeah. we weren't in that theater, mm-hmm. but like we still had to go around and um, slowed things down. Uh, but also, I am not great with the. Uh, I don't want to even say improv, but the notion of like somebody calling on me and not having an answer because I go into panic mode. <laughs> so it's even happened to me on the show here. So, uh, like I remember the discussion uh, of uh, Enter the Ninja. You would ask me just plainly, like, "What's the lair of the villain like?" And like I blanked for some reason. I, it wasn't and a very I good question. So it wasn't like a gotcha moment, but uh, yeah, I'm, I just keep trying to trip Steve up. I'm just like <laughs> my goal is to be like you know nothing. But I, for whatever reason, I couldn't think of it, and then the panic set in, <laughs> and I'm like, I couldn't figure out. Like I'm like, what was it? Now I can't remember. Um, so I'm I'm sitting there praying the whole time. I'm like, oh, please don't call on me. Please don't call on me. Um, and going in, I was like, okay, if they if they call on me. I'm just going to say werewolf, no matter what they ask me. 
And but here's the thing. Are you having a good time this evening, sir? Werewolf. <laughs> here's the thing. They they got to a point where they're like, oh, you know, I was talking to so and so, and they said life was like. And the first person they went to was like said orgasm. So like, hey, I'm not going to top that answer. But like werewolf orgasm. <laughs> so the, the the next person they go to is, is like, and I remember I was talking to you. And what did you say life was like? And I'm like, uh, uh, and I, I werewolf probably would have been a great answer. But for whatever reason, I couldn't access that part of my brain. And I just said a potato chip because it was the first <laughs> thing that popped into my brain. Um, That's a fair for being a random thing to say. I think it's fine. Yeah. But I just because I'm like, there's no way I'm topping orgasm, you know, like the and that's the way these things go usually. Is, is you the, told me life is like uh, getting the shit beat out of you with a sack full of doorknobs. Right. Like, what you, like, like, <laughs> Which is probably more apropos, really, of what life feels like. But I, I, I just, I don't know what it is. Like, I have this moment where if I don't immediately have an answer, my brain goes from, like, looking for the answer to panicking. Yeah. So uh, I just sat there in fear the whole time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> thankfully i got called on like almost at the end so but uh yeah it was a good time um my wife had uh like i don't know like a 20 dollar glass of wine (laughs) like it was expensive and uh let's play house square yeah so uh she enjoyed her wine we had a good time at the show um and that was my saturday so nice all right so okay that um that's not i mean you had more eventful weekend than i did i just stayed inside like shunned all of existence and watched turbo kid yeah i mean sunday all we did was uh we stayed in and uh uh i watched fright night and we ate pizza so that's a good call sorry all right so let's just uh look at this look at we're doing good we're doing good all right let's just get to some news everyone an eight minute talk about mcdonald's and then like a five minute talk about the weekend i think we're doing pretty good so all right uh news uh this was announced like actually like shortly after we got done recording last week yeah. but it's worthy of note that uh which really bums me out that they you know couldn't have done it earlier i for mean us. come on i mean like they should know yeah you know? like just come on uh so I mean, for as much as we talk about all things like Disney, pretty much everything comes back to them now, right? Like, yeah, like we were gonna t- we were we were gonna talk more about like the story of like the the official sale of Fox going to well most of 21st Century Fox going to Disney as of today, and we're like, ah, eh, we we're not gonna do that story, but I was gonna have a really great intro for it. Oh, which was gonna be you know um, 21st Century Fox like all like they joined the House of M. Like I was gonna say that because uh. it's like that would have been better, but nah, it's not worth it. Like. That's that's a Marvel joke there, folks. It's a Marvel mutant joke um, that, you know, that everyone's going to be like, you said it wrong. I'm like, I probably did. Um, <laughs> anyway, so Disney's reverse course, and they've rehired James Gunn to come back to do Guards of the Galaxy Volume 3. And um, also, because of this, he had already signed up to do Suicide Squad for DC, and they worked out a deal, which I heard some rumors that basically saying that like they said, hey, you want to come back? And he said, yes, however... I, uh, I committed to do this. So Disney worked out a deal with Warner Brothers that he gets to do Suicide Squad and then come and then do Guardians 3. Yeah, uh, I I couldn't believe, like, I, I'm ecstatic that James Gunn is coming back. Don't get me wrong. But I, I honestly just, I thought that ship had sailed. Me too, like because I, I really think... thought that was going to be something that was going to happen earlier. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like this is a decision that's been made for quite a while. It's just that I'm, I'm betting that they wanted to save it, you know, because you... <laughs> 
it was something that kind of marred the end of uh, um, uh, Infinity War because mm-hmm. the you know, movie came out and was excited, and then that kind of came out like right after. And I have a feeling that they're just trying to find like, you know, like a good spot to announce it. And it's like, you know, Captain Marvel's doing well. We're leading into Endgame, and this and this merger is about to finalize. Like, it was probably the right time to say it. I just I don't know. Like, I, this is something I feel like they've had this. This has been decided for a while. This isn't something that just happened a week ago. There's also a piece of me that wonders, like, a how much Kevin Feige had to do with it like i wonder if he you know went to the you know went to the bat for gun and was like we need to get him back and i also wonder how much of it was them looking at potential people to take on the franchise and being like i don't want to follow james gunn particularly in the way this was handled pretty much anybody that was like rumored they're like no it's his film like people pretty much like stepped aside like uh it was i know as soon as it announced like uh was it uh, uh, Tika Watiti? I'm going to mm-hmm. mis- mispronounce his name all the time, and I feel bad about that. He tweeted out, he's like, hey, I thought that was my job. And that was the whole joke because people <laughs> kept asking him to do it. He's like, no, that's James's film. Um, so, like, and also, too, if you look, you didn't really hear a whole lot of news about Disney shopping it around in terms of trying to get a director. Yeah. There was that, like, Batista saying, like, if they don't use the script, I'm out. Like, there was a lot of that. And they early on said, we're using the script. So you can kind of tell that this was something that was just kind of sitting in, like, a holding pattern. Um, so it feels like basically what it came down to is that the president of Disney or whoever it was made the decision, you know, uh, Mr. Mr. Mickey Mouse. I don't know who the name is. The guy is it Bob Iger. Uh, is it Bob Iger? I don't know. I was going to say, um, who was the guy in the eighties that, uh, that was the president like the, Lee Iacocca? No, Eisner. I was thinking, uh, oh, I, I, who knows? Uh, you know, uh, Walt's frozen head made the decision. Uh, that they defrosted him, yeah. asked him the question, and then <laughs> threw him back in the. It's like, just don't say something racist. What do you think about this? And they, just, <laughs> they put him back away. Uh, I mean, it's like you could have one cigarette. It's fine. Um, and he's like, yes, yes. Tom Hanks played you in the movie. It was good. It was good. <laughs> like, you know, uh, so um, that's the sequel. It's freezing Mr. Banks. That's not true because that was that's the that's the father of the woman that wrote Mary Poppins. Anyway, I'm off on a tangent. That doesn't make sense. Um, so basically, they said that all the interactions that they had with Gunn. And all like the different times and different meetings with him, like he was sincere. He never changed course. He never blamed anybody other than like, he was like, I was an idiot when I was younger. This was all done for shock value. Like I've changed. Like he's never, he never like lashed out and blamed like Disney's overreaction, which, you know, in one way I'm like, okay, well he's a professional. He's an adult. You know, the same thing. It's like all the big company would have been unhappy if the guy would have gotten mad at him. Like, I don't know how I feel about that, but basically they're saying he never changed from his initial position of like, you know, I, I wish this wasn't the case. However, I understand why. You know, yeah, I think also the fact that a lot of it had been out there for a while. Like, yeah, just, this wasn't the first time people had heard about it. Yeah, and he had apologized for it then too. It wasn't like this is something. So the you know all the the, the people are trying to dr- dig up dirt on him to get him you know like ruined or whatever. What they ended up doing was causing him to still get the movie he was going to do anyway, and, then and get getting it a, a Suicide Squad movie. So. So thank you for giving us more James Gunn products that we like. I mean, not that we would have known that was the absolute, you know, end game, quote unquote, for that. (laughs) But um, yeah, like it's kind of worked out like all, you know, for the best. I do have to wonder, though, uh, because the uh, I believe Suicide Squad films the end of this year. Yeah. And I don't think they have it coming out till like 2021. No, it's going to be a while before we see this next movie. But at least with this, because you'd already heard the story, like when they talked about this film, that it's like, it, it you know, it's going to deal with the fallout of what's going on now. But it sounds like the story is modular enough that it doesn't have to be well, like, I, locked in with the rest of the, the whole Marvel next phase, which they really haven't announced outside of 
like like you know there's a sequel to Black Panther coming. Yeah. There's Spider-Man coming this year. So you know there's some stuff but there's not been like a picture painted of what is coming. And I think part of it is because of this Fox deal. Well, I kind of wonder if they're going to somehow figure out a way to work the Guardians into something else that comes out before it. Yeah, maybe. You know, like I mean, let's Captain say Marvel. Captain Marvel 2 or whatever. Yeah. Um who knows when that'll come out, but I mean uh, I, I feel like they'd want to keep them at least in people's view. Yeah, um, but, I mean, I don't see why so, you couldn't have, you know, if it was just even Star-Lord in it, like a passing bit or something. I or, honestly thought Nebula and Gamora were going to show up in Captain Marvel. I was surprised that they didn't. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, either way, it's it's all good, so... Yeah. So, but good news that we're getting. So, like I was telling Steve, sort of recording, like, the, like I, I don't really ever like make like the the bold prediction and call the shot like Babe Ruth because it's like you know you're going to be wrong more if you keep making your predictions. Like you know you get one right, you're like, look at me, I'm uh, like a psychic. Call me, I'll give you all the answers. This is one of those things that, like you said, like it just everything about it. I'm like that can't be. You know, mm-hmm. like this is going to change. And then you're right. It went long enough where I'm like, well, I guess it's not going to. But this was the one thing I was like, this ha- this this has to be reversed. And my whole thing with uh, with Suicide Squad is, is that they keep saying, oh, it's a reboot, not an actual like direct sequel. Uh, but I have to wonder, you know. What if Suicide Squad two tanks just because the first one's not very good? You know what I mean? Like, and I, I it's unfair for me to say that it's not good because I didn't actually see it. But I don't know. I forgot like that and Batman vs Superman. You yeah, still I still not have watch. not watched. Oh. I don't know anybody who's like, yeah, I loved that movie. Like, I'd say we I should sit that... down and watch this together, but I really don't want to watch Batman vs Superman <laughs> again. I don't know that you know. There's anybody who. I don't know anybody personally who's like, you know, oh, I loved Suicide Squad. I know that there are people who are like, there are parts that I liked, but a lot of it fell apart. And, oh, and I just think the pedigree of, biggest... of, of having Gunn involved and then obviously his ear for music is going to be a lot better than it was in this other movie. Well, that's the thing is that, you know, the the whole comparisons that I got was, was like, oh, they tried to do Guardians of the Galaxy mm-hmm. and Suicide Squad. So, so I mean, and then, but uh, but there's also the rumors of some of the the different um, people that are going to be in the squad. Like, I, I don't, like, my not, my DC knowledge is weak, but, mm-hmm. like, was it Ratcatcher they're going to possibly have involved? They're going to have Ratcatcher in Yeah, there? that's supposedly the, the talk. Really? Yeah, that sounds like it could be that's fun. Just, I, I mean, I guess that's right up James Gunn's alley, because yeah. that's a completely that's just a person that can control rats right yeah and and eat eat cheese really fast and get distracted by traps i don't that those last two things i don't know if are true or not but and he will be played by um oh i had his name on the tip of my tongue and i killed the joke um dj quails no uh oh back to the future mcfly um the, the, uh, just cut this part out no no which one um the, the dad from yes. back to the future um God. oh shoot now i'm not remembering uh, what's his name um george mcfly yeah um, uh, crispin glover crispin glover there you go because he had that rap movie right yeah, yeah he was in the remake of willard and i i completely blanked on that yeah Cut, cut that like no, 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 it's minute fine. It's out. Fine. No, I just believe that they're going to have him in the role, and then his his abilities will be control rats. And then when he gets startled, he wedges himself between the wall and the refrigerator and can't get out. <laughs> be like, God damn it, rat catcher, get out of here! We also find out that he's lost an arm at the beginning of the movie, and the rest of the movie is finding out how he lost the arm. <laughs> yeah, that would, that would, that'd be a that'd be a meta joke there. Yeah. Um. So supposedly him, King Shark is rumored to be in it too. That'd be fun. They uh, did King Shark on the Flash, and yeah. that's a character that I'm like. 
like, wow, that that would probably be terrible. But they pulled it off really well on the Flash TV show. So. Yeah. So and then supposedly they got Idris Elba to be Deadshot, which at this point, like, I thought you haven't seen the movie. Will Smith was actually pretty good as Deadshot, but it's mm-hmm. like you get Idris, Idris Elba. Yeah, like I would be fine with that too. So there's a lot going for it. And then we got Guardians three, and that's going to be exciting. And I'm sure Batista is very happy now because he doesn't have to fight anybody to get what he, you know get this happening. So anyway. Uh, just wanted to, you know, I'm sure everybody's already had their thoughts. We just wanted to share ours. We're excited and we're happy about it. So, all right. Uh, next story. Uh, it is, um, this one's uh, a little weird. I'm not going to get into like the, 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 the big tech part of it because I don't quite understand it because I'm old. Um, but Google <laughs> announced uh, what their, their plans for something called Stadia or Stadia. Um, that is supposed to be a game streaming service. And this is something that they've been hinting at for a while. Uh, one of the, one of the um, people that was behind uh, Ubisoft Toronto, which Steve doesn't know what that means, but that's one of the big game developing studios. Ubisoft is the ones that are behind the Assassin's Creed series. Um, you know, <laughs> Assassin's Creed. Say, like they were behind the assassination of so-and-so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Um, no, Ubisoft is like they've. Uh, was it? Uh, what is I, I, I'm familiar with. Ubisoft. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, yeah. One of their people left recently to join Google as a vice president of this. So you're like, you, you knew an announcement was coming. Yeah. So what they want to do is they want to create this this um, you know service called Stadia or Stadia um, that is a streaming service through it could be through phones, through computers, through TVs, through whatever. But it's going to be ham radio. Ham radio. Um, you know, it could be through a, a potato clock. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it could be through those old wristwatches in the 80s that look like a transformer. I don't know. But uh, the whole thing is it's cloud-based, meaning that how you interact with it, the the device you have, it doesn't matter about the processing power of the device because it's going to be, the processing is going to be through their cloud service. Yeah. Uh, again, I'm s- simplifying it because that's how I kind of understand it. But the whole thing is like, let's say that like, you know, you and I are watching a YouTube video of a game that someone's streaming and we're like, Hey, that game looks cool. You could click on the screen theoretically and be playing that game immediately. Mm-hmm. That's the whole idea is this kind of like, see it, get it go, you know? And that's exciting and that's pretty cool. Um, and there's also the thing too, let's say that you and I are playing a game and I get to a point where, like, like, I don't know, like, there's a middle point of the game where it's like this awesome part, but like, I, I could do something called a save state where it, like, uh, which I know you have with your emulators, you know, about save states where you can kind of pause and mm-hmm. save the game. But it's like, you could immediately, if I'm like, if I have this out there, I'm doing this, you could access my save state and go on and do your own thing. Okay. So there's like all these cool things you can do with it. And, and there's some developers that are starting to like consider making games for this. And, um, and they showed examples like the team developing this went out and found like the oldest computer they could find. And it works on that. Like in terms of like interacting, um, you can use like any USB controller. However, Google will be selling their own controller with this, but it's not going to be a console. It's going to be the controllers, the, the biggest piece of equipment you're going to have for it. So um, I, I have, I have one question in regards to this. Do you think this is going to be the death of the console? I don't know. Like, so first, you know, they're deliver they're promising something that we haven't seen delivered yet. Okay. So that's the first thing. I'm not saying Google's not capable of doing this because I mean, if there's anybody out there that could do it, it'd be them, you know, and, and for them to kind of just straight up be like, Hey, we want to get in the games business. And this is their first announcement. That's, you know, that's crazy. So it could be the death of the console in the sense that like me, you know, people that maybe they don't already own a console, but they go buy a controller and they can game. Um, I also feel like, like somebody like Nintendo is always going to have something like, uh, tangible you can hold on to because I feel like they always kind of go their own way. And with the switch and everything, they always are like, they're, they're doing gangbusters now with the switch. And when it was first announced, I'm like, that's stupid. 
and now we own one. <laughs> like yeah. so, I, I don't know. Like I think it's going to force Microsoft and Sony to reconsider what they're doing because with the, with consoles, you build like a hardware set. Um, and now with the with the, the software constantly updating, which is different than it used to be with like you just buy like a Nintendo, like Super Nintendo, and that's it. Yeah. Um, so they can make improvements to the internal with like with software updates, but like you basically buy the set of hardware. That's it for the generation. And it's up to the developers to keep unlocking the potential of it as you go through the generation um, cycle, right? So, uh, and that, and that's you know you see that like. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, God of War uh, that came out for PlayStation 4 last year. That was something that, like, you know, they knew that they wanted to make this game for this system, and it was something that had been cooking before the PlayStation 4 was actually available. You could tell that there was a big lead time. But had they had that game ready for launch, it would not have the same type of experience or fidelity because the people developing it didn't, you know, once you get in, kind of learn the nooks and crannies, right? Mm -hmm. So, so there's that. So um, there will not be that kind of um, stuck in a certain hardware perimeter, you know, type of thing anymore with this, which I think that's going to set back uh, Microsoft and Sony on its heels a little bit. So I guess my next question is, is that like, doesn't that also, and I don't know, I mean, I'm assuming they make money on console sales. It's not like they lose money on them in my Well, when they initially launch a console, it's usually for a loss. Okay. Because they know that they get them out in the household, and then it's going to be the you know the accessories in the games. Like, um, yeah, because I know uh, the Xbox One I think was running at a loss for a while. So. And do you see pirate? And I again, this is this is sort of like the idiot gamer where I'm just asking questions because I don't know you know much about this. But like, okay, so the film industry right now, there's a lot of articles going around about the death of Blu-ray and everything going to digital. Mm-hmm. And people are sort of chicken littling, I guess, the Blu-ray market and 4K, that kind of thing. Um, but at the same time, you know, a big piece of that was is that pirating came along and stole a big chunk of that money from movie companies that were making money on Blu-rays and stuff like that before, yeah. you know, before digital became such a huge thing. But I wonder, is, is that going to be a piece of this as well like will they lose money and i know you can't predict it but like is there going to be you know Um, like is is that a factor it's hard to say because you got to think about it because since it's this is a digital experience that you know if you there's a couple different ways to monetize it uh and some i don't agree with but i understand why they do it like um like there's this game that just came out a couple weeks ago called apex legends you may have seen banner ads for it or whatever it's free to play but um, there is the ability to purchase um, like things like in their storefront. Like uh, I don't even know what's all entailed, but there's there's like this microtransaction economy with it. Mm-hmm. So obviously, this game was like when it came out, it was like it's the most played game this week. It's like well, no shit, it's free. But with the piggybacking of people that, that want to min max, meaning they want to get in and be the best they can, if there's anything in this game that's a performance enhancement that's for sale, people are going to buy it. You know, so I'm sure Apex Legends is making. Fair amount of money right now for being free because they're they first taste you know yeah. type of thing, so there's a way to do that. Um, there might be a, like a licensing thing where it's like yeah you might be able to click a game and play it instantly. Uh, you might have to purchase that license that you know maybe like with like like your Voodoo account where it's like you have the movie mm-hmm. and you can access it forever. However, that's not necessarily true either because I've bought movies on the Microsoft storefront that like they only have them for like three or four years and then they expire, which is stupid. Um, yeah, I know. It, I know people. It, it have, might be a license thing. I don't know. Uh, bought 
films from iTunes at least that had suddenly just disappeared. Yeah. Um, so that's my only thing that bugs me is, and I'm a bit of a hypocrite. I cut, I cut you off. I'm sorry. Uh, hypocrite. Yeah. Hypocrite is that I like do, I, I do like owning physical media and I do like owning, owning physical versions of games. However, um, a lot of stuff that comes out now, like day and date, there's these update patches that come through. So in some cases, unfortunately, these developers don't get their shit together and they're, they're major fixes to problems with the game that they said was fine when it was like for you to go to the store and buy it, which I think that's garbage. But um, Bastards. So it is like uh, there's games that are basically like broken. Yeah. And then the day one patch, you always hear the rumor of the day one patch that comes through and that's them trying to fix everything. That's how I quit smoking. Yeah, right. Um, so I do want to own some, own some of the stuff. Here's where I'm a hypocrite. Uh, the two games I play the most are both Blizzard games because like they they have taken all my money. Uh, World of Warcraft, which I might own some boxes of discs, but that's not the way the game is uh, issued anymore. It's usually just through downloading. But with that, isn't the experience you've been playing that for like ten years now, right? Like, yeah. Isn't that like a continuation of that experience? I guess that's probably the best case scenario for something like this. Yeah, it is. I mean, I pay I pay a monthly for so long. In that case, I pay a monthly subscription fee. And then all the content's available. And then there's a there's a store that you can buy things. Like they mm-hmm. they offer um, services in terms of like changing servers, changing your name, changing like your race and class and all that stuff. Uh, that doesn't affect gameplay. Like they've never sold anything that effectively would like if you and I were playing side by side. Like you couldn't buy something that automatically gives you ten percent more damage. Like mm-hmm. they've never done that. But they'll offer like pets and mounts and things. So even with this fifteen dollars a month. Um, I still get like a great experience, but if I always pay $15 on a dragon, I can go buy a dragon to fly around on that is available just in the store only. Okay. Um, so that's a little different. Um, I like Blizzard's model, like model of, and they're constantly adding um, content. So it isn't like you have to wait two years for them to give you anything because mm-hmm. you do buy the expansions, but the month to month, they'll keep constantly updating things. The other game I play is also a Blizzard game is Overwatch. Um, I have the physical disc for this, but it's a game that you can only play online. So even though I own it, I, I have to have access to their servers to play. You know, I mean, the closest comparison that I can come up with is, is you know, and oddly enough, you know, um, it, in retrospect, I realize that it's a much better deal considering how fast software goes out of, out of date. But um, Adobe, you know, their creative suite. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I when I first signed up for Creative Cloud three, four years ago now, um, you know, my whole thing was is like is like I, I want to own this. I don't want to have to keep paying for it. Yeah. But realizing now, like I'm always going to have the latest version. I'm always going to. And sometimes that does backfire because, believe me, there have been times where Adobe's been like, hey, check out all these new enhancements, and we ruined everything that we used to love about it. But yeah. um, at the same time, though, I don't ever have to worry about, <laughs> you know, oh, it's version 6, so I can't do this with it. Or, you know, um, so I guess that that is, uh, from that perspective, I can understand. Um, and probably if I added everything up, I probably would have spent what i would have just to buy one copy of it on disc anyway so well but the thing i like so let's say you create a, like you know the best piece of art ever the what we're talking about here Coming is like before i die it'll be like the uh dewey cox story where i have to <laughs> yeah. create the best story or piece of artwork ever but go on <laughs> no um so it would be like if you could use adobe to do that and you make this image 
but you could only have access to this image while you're paying for the service. Yeah. I feel like some of this is kind of like you, you could save this in whatever you want. And granted, you may not be able to edit it the way you like, but it would still be your work that you could keep. So it's a little different. Um, I video games to me feel a little bit more since it is like, I don't know. Like I, I, there's games I want to own. There's games that I keep that I like playing. It's just, there it's changing now. And with this new service that Google's like unveiling, I don't, I, I don't know if I could just like jump in and out of games, there might be this thing where like, I don't play much of anything because if I get bored within a couple seconds, like what else is out there? And I'm yeah. not saying that because I make a bad choice for purchasing a game, but there's something to be said for like, I have this, I better play it because I spent money oh, on no. it. I mean, um, I think back to the old Nintendo days where it was like, I spent $40 or $50 yeah, on this God game. God damn it. I'm being marble madness. And I bring it home and it's a turd of a game. And you're like, great. What do I do with this? Yeah. So, I mean, and there's also, there's uh, the marketplace, uh, Steam, which is run by Valve. Um, they, they're a, a digital marketplace for games. So, it, the, there's the, you buy the licenses, you download the games, you can play them. It's kind of similar, but it's not as instantaneous as this. Um, and it's also very much machine dependent because if you don't have a good computer and you're trying to play like the top end games, you're not gonna be able to do it. Yeah. So this is like, so the, the, the cool thing about this, and there's been other services in the past that have tried similar things to this where they're like, no, 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 we're going to handle the processing. You just play the game and they've had varying degrees of success, but it was a matter of location of technology and cost. So if there's like, so if somebody's going to do it, it's going to be Google. So we'll see. I, I just like nothing set in stone. We haven't even like seen like what's really coming so this could be successful but the games could be crap i don't know i mean my my question in regards to the way the uh the system works is and i guess i i think we had this discussion in regards to spider-man but you know um it'll be an open market but like will there still be you know how do I put this? Like, you're not going to be able to get a Nintendo game, like a Mario game. Well, that, you, you know, you, so that would and depend I realize upon, I'm using the most basic. No, 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 no. Idea, so like, you talk but, about Spider-Man. That's a Sony exclusive. So it's on like, cause they have the right Spider-Man right yeah. now. Like, so that's only available on PlayStation four and that's only where you're going to find it. Right. So in terms of this, that's another thing that's going to have to start scaring Microsoft and Sony, because it's like, if there's no console, then developers can just develop for Stadia or whatever you call it. And anybody can access it. So is there more money to be had for them just developing straight through Google and saying, everybody play our game? Or do they have to like jump through the hoops of like meeting what Microsoft and what Sony wants? Mm. And also internally, Microsoft and Sony have their own studios. So are they, you know, like what, what's that say about like that? Like what, like if like the new Halo game that's going to be coming out, like I think this year or next, it's like, you know, what's the bigger, who's going to have the bigger audience? Like, you know, and that's internally owned by Microsoft. So, you know, yeah, and I will say, and uh, again, not knowing really anything about gaming, I did think it was interesting that the day after this announcement that Lucasfilm made the announcement that they're bringing back Lucas games. Good. I didn't see that announcement. That's great. Yeah. So I'm wondering if they're looking to that, I, you know, in the sense of like, well, I mean, is, is, are, is that owned by Disney? The Lucas game part? I think they I are. Mean, they own Lucasfilm is yeah. owned by Disney, but yeah. at the same time, like I, I have to wonder like if they're. Because my understanding is is that people have been very unhappy with the games that have come out in the last few years, so I, I have a feeling that maybe that's a way of them opening it back up, and maybe they're going to make games available for everyone. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. I, again, like I just the more technology makes things easy, and the more innovation that comes, 
then there's also the challenges, like you said, of, of make, making it profitable. Um, you know, and I just, I'm not smart enough to, to know what's going to come next, you know, mm-hmm. and I know that. Uh, I just, I, if this is, if this is them kind of throwing the gauntlet down and challenging all the game manufacturers, because right now the big three are Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo, you know, like maybe, you know, like I think they should be worried. You know, so we'll see. Or it'll be the next Google Glasses. Yeah. I, I just think that Sega would be like, hey, 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 I know we're not making consoles anymore, but do you need a hedgehog? Like, you know, like whatever. <laughs> uh, do you, yeah, so, because they bombed out of the console market and they've been making their own game since, you know. We were walking out of uh, Captain Marvel and Kathy saw a Sonic the Hedgehog movie poster. She's like, are you kidding me? Nope. And that I'm thing like, looks nope. weird. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, it's it's real. Yeah. Uh, is Jaleel White doing the voice of Sonic? I, I don't know. That I don't know. Because he was doing it over there for a while. So, um, yeah. all right. Anyway, enough about uh, Stadia, Stadia, whatever. Uh, <laughs> enough about Jaleel White. Yeah. Next, we're going to talk about, uh, we go from Stadia to Station. That's uh, right. Yeah. So, uh, as of today, there was a video released with Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter. Uh, Alex Winter. I, I knew the name. I wasn't trying to forget him, you know, but they, they said that, you know, that, that there's been talk of the third Bill and Ted movie for a while. We talked about it on the show. But they have a release date. Yeah. You know, so um, I don't know why they're at the Hollywood Bowl there, it looks like, but I don't know why, this, unless they're, you know. I have a out. feeling they're going to film something there, but I do think it's interesting watching the video. Like, they almost kind of slip back into character in a way. <laughs> I didn't like, actually watch, get to watch the video. I just I, I read the announcement. They don't do it as Bill and Ted, but like the way they're like interacting with each other, like they're both kind of bouncing around as they're making this. Well, because they, they've been friends for how many years? So I'm sure yeah, they're super I'm excited. Like, I'm like, God, they kind of feel like Bill and Ted in real life. That's great, though. Like, I just, I, I like that it's like finally, finally, Keanu Reeves is starting to look older now. Yeah, and then, but, but like, that's because he's got a beard. I, but you still, shave that still, beard off, he's uh, still probably got a baby face. Yeah, I mean, you. I, I still would challenge you to watch the John Wick films. It's like he still looks good, but it's like you're like, yeah, you're getting, you're getting, you're starting to show like he's 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 starting to hit that like Tom Cruise plateau of like you shouldn't look that, but there's parts, <laughs> there's parts, you know. Um, but yeah, but Alex Winter looks like he's definitely grown up a little bit. Um, but whatever, it's fine. I, I think that uh, this will be exciting, and the fact that like they've been passionate about this, this isn't a cash grab. No, like this is not them. Like this isn't like you know Keanu Reeves being like, oh, no one wants to come to my movies anymore. Now it's time for Bill and Ted to come back. This feels like this is something that they they feel like I feel like from the story of like the promise of these guys, they're supposed to like save the world with their music. And the notion that like, you know, they, they never ever did anything <laughs> is a really fun idea yeah. that kind of plays in the, the previous two films. And that's, that's all I want from this movie is, is I want a fun movie with Bill and Ted. I don't have like large expectations for it. Um, but I, I do like the idea of catching up these guys 20 years later, but nothing's changed. No, it's a good idea. And it's, and I, it, I, I'm wondering, you know, what they'll do in regards to like what happened to Rufus and, um, you know, I, I kind of wonder like what what they're going to be like as adults. What what older comedian would you want to fill the role of Rufus? <sighs> not be Rufus, but I'm, be someone different. Yeah, I mean, honestly, and this is this is unfair because there's only so many ways to go. But like, I feel like Bill Murray. That wouldn't be bad. But I was thinking like Louis Black. Louis Black would be good, but Louis Black's always angry. I know, like, I but feel just, like- <laughs> I feel like he would just be annoyed with them. Like I just, I, I think that'd be fun. Um, 
Yeah, Bill Murray would be good, but I just I don't know if he would be like I just I don't think he'd get him for this kind of project. But yeah. who knows what they're gonna do? Like I think it'd be fun to to do something like that though. Or, you know, somebody who's even like uh like the thing that I liked about Carlin was is he was a thinking man's comedian and like and I realized that it's a completely different delivery, but I've always loved Stephen Wright as a comedian. I was thinking that too. <laughs> it would be like it would just be great. Like it'd be almost like aloof, like just yeah. yeah. Oh, um, that would be too weird. Uh, I, just, I think of like the two movies I've seen Stephen Wright in. Well, actually, three. It was uh, So I Married an Axe Murderer because he was the pilot of the plane. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Half Baked, where he's doing I the love, couch. I love the fact that he's a sleepy movie. Yeah. Like. And then even the bit where they like they smoke the weed and like it starts getting weird and all you yeah. do is see him float off the couch. And then he was also in a Canadian Bacon. The, I've never seen that. And he plays a Canadian Mountie, and it's just like it's just funny because it's like he has the same delivery, but he puts like the, he places a boot, and it's just like this fun, <laughs> fun thing. But no, yeah, I'm excited for Bill and Ted Three. This will be fun. Maybe maybe you get um uh what William William Holden back as uh, Death. Is that William Holden? That no, it? that's um uh, that's uh, not right. William uh William's right. Uh, uh Statler? Stadler? Sadler. Sadler. That's yes. it. Sorry, I Holden. What am I thinking? Yeah. It'd be great to sneak death back in. I have to imagine that like he's gotta be in there. Although I, I don't know why this random memory came back to me uh when I saw this announcement today. Uh when the second movie came out, I was in high school. So MTV was always on in the house and uh I remember them doing interviews for Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey and saying, like, well, this is probably going to be it for us because they've died and gone to hell. Like, where where do we go after this? Like, yeah. they're like, do we do Bill and Ted in space? They're like, I, I don't think so. Like, this is we're done. So I kind of feel like for them to come back to this now, I do feel like there's definitely something in place where they both are happy with what the story is. And like, like you said, I don't feel like it's a cash grab. I feel like it's them... Uh, really wanting to tell this story, and as somebody who saw both those movies numerous times in the theater as a kid, I'm I'm very excited to to go along on that ride. Yeah, so. and I think the gag of there being a telephone booth would be yeah. weird now. You know, so <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I'm sure as we get more information, hopefully this is like the official go. I mean, them announcing a release date seems pretty good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like um, it's just, and good for Keanu Reeves. Like this guy, like he's had kind of a shitty life at times, and it's yeah. just, you know, and but the, again, he's in this like he's in this upswing again because like uh, I, I will admit. The first John Wick film, like when I heard the name, I'm like, "That's a dumb name for a movie." And then I'm like, "Oh, he plays in the, he plays a hitman." That, that's 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 a lot of Keanu Reeves films. And then I watched it. It was like that moment of like, "I was wrong about everything, Mister Reeves. Please forgive me." <laughs> uh, and then the second ones, like they're both really good movies. Yeah, and, and aren't so, they filming the third one? No, the third one's coming out like this year, like the summer. Okay, yeah, so um, it's coming out soon. Uh, you know, so if if Thanos gets you know, beats everybody in the MCU, watch out for John Wick. He's going to come finish him. <laughs> but yeah, all right. So um, yeah, good news. They, they, they actually, our button makes sense for once. Good news. Yes. All right. So enough about that. Let's get on to our uh, talk about Mr. Drew Struzan. And now for our feature presentation. So, uh, kind of a bit of like uh, kismet. I didn't realize that uh, Drew Struzan's birthday was on Monday. I think it was the 18th. Yeah, because uh, yeah. you text me. And- yeah, uh, and I just happened to like, oh crap, that that works out. Like we didn't pick this because of uh, because of his birthday, but you know, happy birthday, Drew Struzan. Um, so, I we've been talking about doing this as a topic on the show for a while because something we come back to often on the show, and this is why Invasion started to begin with, is because there's things that you love. And there's many things that you love, and, and we want to kind of get in depth with the things you love and why you love them. 
because there's been so many different people that are responsible for a lot of the media that we enjoy that you may not think about. Like, yeah. um, like actually, this would be before we get the drifters, and this would actually be a good pivot into um, uh, the special effects guy that just you were talking about. That just oh, um, see, uh, I forgot his name. It's a Buechler. 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 Yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah, uh, John Carl Buechler, who is a uh, effects guy, director. Um, he's had his hands in pretty much every major horror franchise of the eighties. Um, he had. His family had posted a GoFundMe, I feel like, uh, about a month ago, um, looking for donations to help with uh, some new treatments that they were looking for for his cancer. Um, Unfortunately, uh, he did not make it. um, I mean, honestly, when I saw the announcement, I I immediately donated and then I posted it to... um, Which (laughs) is funny because like, I posted it directly to my... Uh, Saturday Night Slasher Facebook page, and then I posted it in El Goro's Talk Without Rhythm page because I just knew that like the folks there are are probably all were touched by his work in some way, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I thought that like well, one the first thought is, is, and I won't turn this into a discussion about healthcare, but like just how awful it is that, you know, we have to have GoFundMe's for healthcare. Yeah. Um, but also like I thought, oh, maybe there's some sort of treatment that that's gonna either at least give him a shot or prolong his life. I didn't think a month later we'd be talking about him passing away. Um so he passed away, but the GoFundMe is still out there. It's to help um with uh his family's um I mean dealing with the medical bills. Yeah, say that and just everything. Everything. Right? So, yeah. Um but, but but this is a guy like from uh, he was part of like Ghoulies. He actually did some stuff for Indiana Jones. Uh, he um, like he directed uh, Friday Thirteenth Part Seven, The New Blood. Yeah, like this guy, you know, um, he did a lot of special effects from From Beyond, which we covered last Halloween, uh, last October. Like so, again, we talk about the things that's like, oh, I didn't know this was someone that was doing this. And, you know, like we mentioned this now because unfortunately he passed, and there's ways to help the family. I uh, you know. That's the, the that's kind of a microcosm of of this of what we talk about. So, yeah, please if you can donate, like help out. Um, so, uh, when we talk about Drew Struzan, like I, there's a lot of people that are in the this industry of making films or the the marketing of films or whatever that I'm sure I love a lot of what they've done and I didn't realize who they were. Mm-hmm. Um, and like uh, Ralph McQuarrie is someone that I learned unfortunately like I'd heard the name but I didn't realize how important he was to much of science fiction like mm-hmm. in terms of movies until he passed so and um, and actually there oh shoot um, Stan Winston special effects guy hugely influential and like I knew who he was before he passed but it's like this guy you know did all the special effects work for like name a movie uh, to a certain point he worked yeah, on yeah I mean if you enjoyed the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park the original um, not not as much of that movie is as CG as you think it is and yeah, a, lot a lot of it's Stan, Stan Winston, Winston stuff. So. yeah um, so I feel like Drew Struzan is a guy who is in that same like echelon right mm-hmm. so um, and I've it's one of those things that like once I became aware of his work and who he was, like I just, you know, it's one of those things that I, I always want to talk about on the show and Steve being an artist and a creator, it, it wouldn't take much for, for him to be like, yeah, we'll talk about it too. Like, so I knew yeah. like, like, Hey, let's do this. So, um, the part of the reason this kicked off is unrelated to him. However, uh, the new Aladdin films coming out this summer, 
Um, and the, he's the, starring. No. Yeah, Drew Streisand's in it. No. Uh, so uh, Disney's doing this thing right now. As much as we just talked about all the great things Disney's doing, it's pissing me off that they're doing the live action version of their cartoons. But people seem to be excited for it, so I can't judge that. Like I, my wife loved the live action Beauty and the Beast. I've not seen that, but she loved it. Um, you know, whatever. It's just Disney double dipping, and they put people that you know in it, right? So mm-hmm. the new Aladdin film's coming out. Uh, Will Smith and um, other people. <laughs> I, well, I don't know who they are, but it's Will Smith. <laughs> Myth, right like so and you got a flying carpet that's probably still playing himself and a tiger um but the poster for this thing uh has it, it's very um it's very reminiscent of Drew Struzan in the sense that it's like it's composition and what it's trying to do and trying to give you like a feel for the movie without seeing the movie yeah I mean uh, and this goes even beyond Drew Struzan in the sense of like Movie posters, and I hate saying like, oh, back in my day, but like what a movie poster used to do was try to uh, evoke a feeling of the film without giving you like, here's who's starring in it. I mean, sure, that was always a piece of it, but movie posters were to entice you to see the film based on seeing an image that uh, stylized either the action that happens in the film or at least the story of the film. Um, And you know, when it comes to Drew's work, he did these very realistic but beautiful, almost like sur- not surreal in the way that you would think of surrealism, but like these um, larger than life feeling of the film. Like yeah. this, y- you saw a Drew Struzan poster and it could be like the worst movie ever, but you wanted to see it because of Drew Struzan's work. Um, and like I'm looking at this Aladdin poster on Paul's screen right now. Um, and they are trying to do certain things, you know, particularly with the way he used color, uh, like you mentioned, the composition and the way they're trying to highlight different aspects of the film, particularly with the way the, the, the composition lays them out and the way that they're... Um, well, they're, like there's these these things in the corner. So, like, let, let's establish if you do not know the name Drew Struzan, uh, stop right now. No, I just like look up um, look up the Indiana Jones posters. Why specifically Temple of Doom? Because uh, he did do Raiders, but that came like a week after mm. that came out or something. That, like basically, there's, there's other he did posters. Basically, it's called the Style B poster. Yeah, because that was the other thing that would happen a lot of times back in the day. Is is there would be multiple posters for films. So. Yeah. So look up like his uh, yeah his Raiders of the Lost Ark poster. Do you see? You'll have like the large image of Indy off to the right. You'll have uh, Molaram off to the left holding up a flaming heart. You know, but you see these little bits in the crevices and the corners of like action, and you'll see like these like you know interesting designs and everything. Thing. And it's like, and like maybe the stuff that you see on the poster isn't like, like Steve was saying, isn't point for point, like a scene from the film, but it feels like it, you know, like, yeah, yeah. I, I was trying to think of the word when I said surreal, I meant to say idealized. He yeah. did idealized versions of characters and events that happen in films. So two quotes I'll throw out here. I just, because I want to get to them and like, they're not really well placed, but I'll get to them anyway. So there's a book called the art of Drew Struzan. It was written by Drew Struzan and David J. Schau, Schau, I think it's Schau, Schau. And the four words by Frank Darabont, who he's, you know, he has his opinions about things and it's great, but he says, uh, I'm not sure how he does it. It's an um, ineffable knack born of pure talent and nurtured by years of effort. But Drew Struzan somehow magically evokes in his work, the romance of cinema and the love of films. It's handcrafted. Uh, it's gorgeous. And it's not merely a marketing tool. By my definition, a real movie poster transcends that um, meager label and is a legitimate piece of art that celebrates the film, evoking story, character, mood, spectacle, and speaks of our memories and feelings for that film. 
So it's that thing you hang on the wall that provides the sense memory of a movie you love even decades after its makers have turned to dust. Like that's, I feel like he kind of, he talks about other posters here in his foreword to the book, sure. but that, that kind of evokes that. Then there's another quote here um, under my post-it note. Uh, that's the magic trick. The rabbit that Drew draws out of his hat. If you love the movie, his art reminds you why you love it. I've seldom seen more iconic representations of the film than Drew Shawshank pieces, um, but she's, you know, Darabont did Shawshank. Uh, he's like, though his Indiana Jones posters and Blade Runner pieces certainly stand equal to them. They're actual for real works of art, and yet they work beautifully as advertising images as well. That's quite a rare skill, rendering art that satisfies both needs. So, like, that that's, you know... So, Steve, with you being a creator and with you and Ryan working on your book, like, obviously you're making a comic book that you want people to be interested in what you guys do. Um, but at the same time, you know, like... I. It, <laughs> I think you want to make something that is sellable and commercial, but also has artistic merit, you mm-hmm. know? So, and so with this, it's like he, like with Drew Struzan, he's able to do this where it's like, it is purely marketing and he works for clients. Like this book that I have, uh, this R. Drew Struzan, uh, he goes through like basically like all these different comps that he puts together, like these, these sketches that are amazing on their own. Uh, basically cause he knows this is what he needs to show the people paying him. So they see, what they think they need. And then he works with what they want. So it isn't like he always has creative freedom to make these amazing posters. He has a job to do. And that job is to sell that movie, Yes, you know, but there's ways to do it. Elegantly, elegantly. I didn't, I can't say that word. And there's other ways to not do it elegantly. And I feel like, so this Alad poster, I'm not beating it up. Like, um, it's just, it is, it's perfectly like there's been worse posters for films recently mm-hmm. there was that big thing re- like in the, was the past like 10 years where it's like god has put everybody's face on a poster and that's your poster and it was very annoying it's like this photoshop every single head like it's a monster with seven heads and we got to put all the names on there and then the title yeah and that's it i mean uh and again you know i don't want to spend this time beating up uh current posters but the Avengers Endgame poster was just released recently, and uh, while it's serviceable, um, I can't imagine what that movie would look like with the Drew Struzan poster. Any of the Marvel films with the Drew Struzan poster. Um, I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I realize that we live in a different age, and that, uh, you know, posters don't get to sell movies like they used to, because now they can throw a clip on YouTube, they can... They can market the films virally. They can do a lot of different things. Um, and it's unfortunate because the film companies just don't care about the poster the way they used to. Well, it's it's weird because, like, so, like, last week, um, I was having a very uh, drunken conversation in my kitchen with my wife because I was cooking. I thought you were going to say with your kitchen. I was, in the I was kitchen. Just, I was like, I the love your kitchen. Said, Oven, you're pretty hot. No, it's like, <laughs> you know, uh, no. Uh, so, no, like, because I was trying to explain to her, like, it was actually um, – it was that Tuesday night before we did the previous show because she's helped me with notes. And I was like, I was like, look at this poster. And I was talking about the Aladdin one. And I was trying to explain to her, I was like, why did why does this stuff happen? She's like, Well, people need to know who's in it. Like, and I'm like, Yeah, but I, I think now because we do have the internet and everything's so widespread, I think it's pretty obvious when people are in things. Mm-hmm. So why not take a chance? Why not actually do something a little different? And actually, you know, like create that brand for that poster, for that image. Cause like I, I have, I have a full movie size poster, like, like theater size. I don't know what the actual dimensions are for Spider-Man homecoming. Mm-hmm. I have it in my bedroom and it, it's a cool, it's, it's a Spider-Man, you know, whatever. It's a fine poster, but it's like, it's not, it, it's like, I'm thinking about getting it framed because it's a nice quality poster, not because 
I really need that one up. Like right. I love, I love Spider-Man and I'm glad that someone got that for me and I really appreciate it. But it's like in my office, as we look at all the different stupid things I have hanging up over Steve's left shoulder, I have, what was it? I have at least like five posters that are, are images for films that are not original run, like image produced for the movies, but they're like artists. Like they, they, they take, they took chances and made images based on what they feel were evocative of the films, you know? And, I have those hanging up. I don't, I don't actually have like, you know, actual movie posters of, of it follows or critters, but I have the artist takes on them, you know? And mm-hmm. th- so, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I feel like the, these are things I love. So obviously I invest money in someone else's interpretation of them, but I didn't go actively seeking out the studios produced versions of those posters. Right. You know, not that I'm saying I wouldn't, I would love to have an aliens poster just because I love that movie, but you know, I, I don't know. It's just so with, with Drew Struzan though, like, I was telling Steve before we started recording this art book that I have, I, this sounds bad. I want to go buy a second copy so I can tear it apart because there's so many great images in there yeah. and they're clean and they're without titles, which I mean, I love a good font. Don't get me wrong, but there's just like, there's something there is magic in his work. And, uh, and Steve could probably speak more to the technique because I didn't realize. And there's this wonderful documentary. You can watch it on voodoo right now for free. There's some ads, it's not as it's not like as bad as I thought it was going to be with the ads. Like it it was a little bit in the beginning and then towards the end, but it wasn't like every five minutes there was an ad. It was actually decent. And it's actually also available on Tubi as well. You okay. can watch it there too. There you go. Um so a wonderful documentary about his life and his work. Um and I watching it the first time originally, I never realized how much mixed media he uses to make the things he makes. Yeah. It, it's a part of it's from like not having money. And just using whatever you have to get the job done. So he was grew up very poor and doesn't waste anything. So he came up with a lot of techniques to stretch materials out to keep working. Um, but his use of like color pencil, acrylics, um, like airbrushing and some other stuff to do what he does. I didn't realize that he had to have so many different techniques to make something become a complete piece. It blows my mind. Yeah. Um, so I think... How should I put this? Because this isn't this isn't specific to Drew Struzan, but the best piece of advice I ever got working on, or not even during a critique, just asking somebody about like how they work. Um, there was an artist uh, by the name of Eddie Newell, who's actually from my hometown, Sandusky, Ohio. He did Black Lightning in the 90s, um, and he was at a convention, and I was just talking to him. I'd bought a piece, and I was like, you know, how did you do this here, and how did you do this here? Because he inked his own work as well. And the, the, the he's like, it wasn't really even so much that he was giving me advice. He's just like, he was telling me the things that he did to achieve, achieve these different facts. And I was like, oh, you you can do that. You can do that. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, you need, he's like, use whatever you can to give the, the best piece of work that you can. Like, meaning that like, if you have an old crappy brush, but you like the way that crappy brush gives you a specific uh, texture, you know, use that. You've got a sponge in the sink, and you need a texture. Uh, use that. You've yeah. got a a, um, a whiteout pen. Use that. Like it wasn't so much about the specific tools, but the fact that you could use anything to as long as it creates the effect that you want. And Drew's motto was pretty much that. Yeah. Um, I hadn't really connected the two until uh, you actually were just mentioning that. Um, 
And, you know, I think it's very interesting the way that he approached certain things. Um, in the documentary, he mentions that, uh, you know, I never sharpen a pencil because I, I'm always drawing with it this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and he uses it on its side and will tilt it around and move it around so it's always got a fine point. Um which is I'm the opposite where I always just use the flat end of the pencil. Um, and I'm like, well, I don't know why I don't do that more. I, I don't think to. Um, but also uh, he was talking about working with uh, another artist and, you know, one of the benefits for him was just seeing how an airbrush worked. Yeah. You know, and then that became part of his arsenal. I mean, it's everything from colored pencils to uh, um, acrylic paints to airbrush to um i'm sure he uses sponges and things for techniques i I mean he puts everything in the kitchen sink at least not into the poster but i mean the techniques and the materials that he uses he will do everything that he can whether it's a spatter i'm sure he's got a thing of toothbrushes that he Mm -hmm. uses for spatter i'm sure he's got you know different um colored pencils that he uses for specific colors and i i just uh i'm always amazed at what he creates with the different things that he uses well and that like so i always always fold thinking that this is all painted like i don't i don't know like just i look at i'm like yeah that makes sense you know like i i have done art in the past i can't prove it now and and steve's you know streets ahead and i'm gonna keep using that Uh, by the way r.i.p leonard from community yeah Yeah, i saw that um my favorite leonard gag was him eating potato chips and then reviewing them but yeah yeah he also did it with with, uh, what was it uh mike frozen pizzas yes (laughs) (laughs) uh no so like you're you're leaps and bounds ahead of me but i i mean i've I did stuff in high school and college, so like I'm I'm familiar with media. Don't get me like I'm not like oblivious to it. But when I see his work, I'm like, well, that's all painted. And then there was um, there's actually a DVD you can buy now. It's like expensive, and it makes sense because it's Drew like basically his masterclass of how his techniques of doing things. There was a video that was online a long time ago of him working on a Hellboy poster, and I'd see him like drawing with the the colored pencils on it and actually getting like the 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 nice like you know reflective light or the highlighting of different parts. And then once he was done with that, he took like, a, like I don't even know what the, what the material was, but he took a paintbrush and did a swirl around it. So it gave you that, that painterly texture on top of it. And it's like, that's such a cheat, but it's like you, like he knows that's what works. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of times he'll also, um, I don't want to say give a glow effect to characters, but like they'll almost feel like they're outlined. And then if you look closely enough to it, it's, it's literally that he outlined it with a white pencil yeah. or, um, you know, went in and threw in highlights, you know, and it, it also gives that different texture. Um, I, I, I think the fact that like, there's a quote in the movie, um, regarding like the way that he portrays Harrison Ford. Like he's, he, he, he again, I, I'll use that word idealized. Like he brings to mind this version of Harrison Ford that's, and I don't want to say better than the real version, but I think even Harrison Ford's like he's he presents me in a way that, you know, I, I where I look at it and I go, that's not me. That's Indiana Jones. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, he, he gives you character, I guess, is a, a better way of putting it. Yeah. There's just even I, though he's using a likeness that. Yeah. There's just something like the it's a kind of magic. To, to quote Highlander, you know, yeah. or um, Queen, I guess, <laughs> at the same time. And 
I don't know how he does it other than he, like there's a certain things that like people, people come close. There's a lot of these like people that uh, aspire to have the similar styles and that's cool. Like if that's the guy that you're inspired by, then, then do it. Like, and that's amazing. And like, like friend of the show, uh, Je- Jeff Ritchie, um, we asked him, you know, what his favorite, uh, Struzan was. And he, he's given us a list. We'll get to it later. Um, but he like, this, he's like, this is one of my heroes. You know, mm-hmm. and you could tell with his work, like he, and Jeff does awesome stuff. And it's like, but you could tell that there's an inspiration once, once you know, not that I wouldn't have not been aware that someone who loves painting like he does and, and some of the pop culture stuff he paints, obviously you'd be like, oh, you must like this too. But I, you know, I did not know to what degree, you know? So, and that's awesome. And I feel like there's other people out there that are inspired directly by his work. Um, it's just, there's something, I, <laughs> I, I, it's hard. Like we talked with the quote from the book about how he evokes a feeling and you mentioned it. Um, is there any, is there any first run movie posters of the, like the past five, six years that come to mind that you're like, you know what? I want that poster. I know I put that putting on the spot. I'm trying to think myself too. You know, like, I feel like, um, not, not Logan, but the Wolverine, uh, had a ink wash poster. Yeah, that was pretty cool. But I don't know if that was the one that was in the theaters. Like, yeah, I don't like, know if it was the one that was in the theaters either, but I remember seeing that. And to be perfectly honest, if I do see a poster uh, that I'm like, oh, that's an amazing poster, I want that, it's usually from like a specialty company like Mondo or... Yeah. Um, well, then there was also the special... Uh, not special edition, but like when Shape of Water came out, there was the the, the hand like the hand drawing of uh, the two characters that was really really cool looking. Yeah, but that wasn't the, the that wasn't the poster that was in front of everybody. It's very rare where I see a poster anymore that uh, I'm like, oh, what an amazing poster. Yeah. Um, usually it's just like, oh, that's that's you know coming out. <laughs> you know, like I because well, so like we talk about the, the this poster, like his his work evoking a feel. So they're like doing what we've been doing with the year of the knockoff and now with Canon and everything. It was a different marketplace then. And you had to have that thing that caught your eye and it's like, we're going to, I'm going to go see this film. Right. And like, so, and when I was even doing like the year of the Western, some of the spaghetti Western posters are ridiculous, but it's Mm -hmm. like, I don't know what's going on, but this movie looks bonkers. I want to go see it, you know? And it's like, and there's, I, I don't get that anymore. I don't get that whole, like, you know, this is enough that makes me like, I'm curious as to what happens next, you know? Like, so I, I know that sounds like the get off my lawn thing, but for being in this amazing moment and technology and access to, uh, to ease of use, like we just talked about though, with the Google gaming thing, like there's so much creativity out there now. And there's so many cool things being made right now. Why does it feel like, like, you know, at the very, very top, you have to make it like, for the widest distribution, which I mean, I, I get it to a degree, but you know, if you're this confident in your product, wouldn't you want to make something that's just memorable? Like, like, you know how many like goddamn jaws tattoos I see, like in things that people getting like stuff from then, mm-hmm. you know, like what do you, jaws, the James Bond villain. Yes. Yeah. I uh, know. Um, you know, the, the film jaws, right? Ah. Like I see that you see like there's the people get like that stuff, you know, like there's like, that's memorable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget the artist who did the jaws poster, but that's an iconic thing, you know? And, I just, I don't know. It's just frustrating that there's still great movies coming out and there's things that you want to remember and love about them, but it will take a Mondo, like limited release, which if you guys don't know who Mondo is, just do like type Mondo posters and they take all sorts of different types of artists and they do all these cool variant posters. Like they do some And they're really hard to get and usually expensive. Yes, unfortunately, but there's some cool stuff out there. Yeah. Um, And, you know, um, 
in the documentary, there are a couple of things that happen. I shouldn't say that happen because it's a, it's an overlook of his career, but there are some key moments that uh, happen in his career. Um, one being when he's hired into the music industry and he's doing these amazing album covers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a gentleman who works in film is like, Hey, you know, I see that you're doing this. I can offer you, you know, this amount of money to do movie posters. Yeah. And, you know, the guy who had given him the job doing album covers, there's a very famous Alice Cooper cover that he'd done, um, was, you know, I think he, he put him in charge of that one. Um, he's like, you know, that's what the movie industry did back then was, is that, like, they stole some of the best talent from, like, album cover illustrators and, and people who were doing, um, you know, work in other mediums and, and putting them into uh, designing film posters. And, and, and that's clearly not the case anymore. But also, um, and this is just my, me wanting to talk about the economics of being an artist. Um, unfortunately, at one point, we find out that Drew had been uh basically screwed um he yeah. had been um swindled out of a lot of money for the 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 work that he was doing um to which point i don't know who the gentleman was who made this comment but drew Sturzen told him that the best year he'd had he'd made fifty thousand yeah. dollars and the guy's like wait why are you only making fifty thousand dollars we're paying that for one campaign yeah and come to find out that the guy who was representing him basically was taking all the money and then didn't return his original artwork. <laughs> no. yeah. um and there's a there's a very wonderful moment uh Drew is a very, I say this like I know him, but he's a very soft-spoken gentleman. Um, he's very much, uh, very low-key in a yeah. lot of his conversations. Uh, but he, he does say it with a little bit of delight when he talks about the fact that a lot of his work suddenly went up uh, for auction. Um, and he was alerted to it, and he went and sued that guy who stole all of his artwork. And he's like, and then the best thing happened. He's like... He had a heart attack and died, and I got all my artwork back. <laughs> and yeah. it was just, it was this, as an artist, like, you know, we all produce things, you know, in the hopes that, like, yes, we want you to like them. We also would hope that you'll you'll pay for them. Because <laughs> that's how we want to yeah. eat. But, um, you know, just knowing that somebody of his caliber uh, wasn't, unfortunately, getting swindled is just, it just shows you how how hard the the art art world can be and how if you don't have a good business sense it can it can cripple you uh, well, and even like finding out like so um other things that, that he has done uh he, he he's done a lot of star wars stuff which we'll, i'm sure we'll talk about later but the big thing that like for episode one the phantom menace mm-hmm. lucas specifically was like the poster that you've you've made like the one that everybody knows like the very fan he's like this is this is the one that's going out for everything so that that episode one image the phantom menace uh it was the the image that was around worldwide yeah. And like that doesn't happen that often. Like you're talking about how there's like different posters for different markets and everything. Mm-hmm. But the Phantom Menace was consistent, and he and you just did hear Drew talk about. It. He's like, yeah, all this is pretty cool. Like it was like you're you're part of the one of the biggest franchises of all time, and your artwork is being seen by everybody. And this is the image that they're going to know from this. Yeah, you know. And so he's like, yeah, it was really good. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the interesting thing about what I was saying earlier about, you know, and I, this isn't a discussion about the quality of episode one, but that poster 
far better than what we got in that movie. Like, I I I don't pile on that movie as much as other people do, but I will say that that poster is like you're like I want to see that movie. Like, yeah, that's the movie I want to see. Yeah, and he so he did like the original trilogy, sorry, the prequel trilogy posters. Even though, so in in the book that I have the art book, he talks. So the, this book's great. Uh, but since a lot of the stuff that he puts out, it's not just straight up like a coffee table book in the sense it isn't just like a greatest hits. It's like a, like you see a lot of his thought process and work through this book, but it's almost like a book about heartbreak. Like, yeah. so as I go through it, it's, it's chronological and he's talking about like all the experiences he has, but then he gets to like episode three and he's talking about how like he, he's not talking to George Lucas directly anymore. And how he feels like, you know, there's so many people in between and how all of them are trying to prove that they're worth. So they keep giving, it's like this whole thing where more and more people are getting in the way that don't understand what's going on. And he's getting further and further removed from the creators that are making these things. And it's like you, you, the further in the timeline of these go with his works, the more and more shut out he is in the industry. Which is and, a weird thing to consider because the people like George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, all these people who love his work, they're hiring him because they want him to give them his version of their, yeah. you know, like they're not hiring him because they want him to do, you know, maybe they'll be like, yeah, it's got to have Darth Maul and Obi-Wan and Anakin and, you know, whatever. Like, I'm sure that they like, but then they usually could just say, go create. Like, yeah. you know, there's a list of re- maybe requirements, but beyond that, they're like, we want what you do. And it's weird to me that somebody would get in the middle of that. What? So, which that, is awful to say. Yeah. And so, as you go further into the book, uh, and I'll show this to Steve, I like, um, and I'll, I'll take pictures. I'll, I'll put, like, obviously, I'm not going to be like, I made this. So, you got to give me money. No. So, <laughs> there is, a, there, there's a sea change that happens. Um, actually, where is it? I have it here. I want to show this. So Steve can see, uh, and so the first Harry Potter film, uh, which is Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, mm-hmm. Harry Potter and the Chamber of Potter Secrets. Um, so that's his, that's his work, and he was supposed to actually do all the Harry Potter films, but then uh, some leadership, like leadership, changed at um, what was the studio? It's Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers, yeah. So then, uh, when they went to go do um, the next one, which was the uh, uh, Chamber of Secrets, no, sorry. Uh, Sorcerer's Stone is the first film. Chamber of Secrets is the second one. Um, so they they actually changed and went with like taking photos of people and putting them up, right? Mm-hmm. So Drew was already halfway through his producing like what he thought the second poster should look like that he was just so frustrated that he went ahead and made his own anyway. So I will put up his his artwork for the second film and um and I'll, I'll and I'll remember I'm not I'm not always good about posting this to Facebook. I'll post that side by side the actual poster for the movie and you guys tell me which one you prefer so i can tell you this right now i'm not a harry potter guy um i've not seen any of the movies i've not read any of the books but i could tell you right now just looking at it that that is probably a far better poster um and it makes me want to see that movie yeah and so <laughs> i mean it does and i'm, I'm, I'm gonna just google this right now like because this is good radio um nope i want chambers no um no um, so Steve can see chamber of commerce. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Oh, let's see here. That's not the right thing, but I'll fix it in a second. All right. And so, so Steve has now seen the Drew Struzan one and now I'll show you the actual poster. It was this, that was the poster. That was the worldwide poster. Oh my God. That's, but so you can see that. So they, they use the photos and you got yeah. Dobby the elf and look what's, he's holding a sword, which I'm guessing is part of the movie. Um, so you can see that, 
even though this is not the same composition and it's using photos, they're still trying to capture what Struzan does. So looking at that, what that reminds me of is when I was a kid, uh, you would get the Weekly Reader. Was it the Weekly Reader? I think it was called. Long story short, there would always be like poster books. So like maybe you'd get a poster book on Back to the Future. Um, and because they're like, well, we've got to have more than just, you know, the, the, the poster image, we'll throw we'll make posters out of like images from the movie yeah. and, and throw them in there. That looks like that should be stapled in the middle <laughs> and be part of some sort of poster book that was, you know, a dollar ninety eight in the weekly reader. But like, then you see like later on like the prisoner of Azkaban and then like Oh my god, that's awful. Yeah, he looks like a like a stalker person. But uh yeah, like that's what they ended up doing. And it's like and you could tell that it, they it's almost like they're like, Oh, well, we got this guy that he knows what he's doing, but we'll show people like, Oh, this is what he did. Now go do that, but with photos. And it's like it doesn't work. And and, and but with Harry Potter though, like it was going to be such a big franchise anyway that they probably could have just like thrown a stick figure up there with the words Harry Potter and the movies would have made their money. Right. So they know that. So they try to cut costs on the marketing side and instead of actually making like an indelible brand, you know, cause wouldn't you imagine there's probably people out there, there's probably people out there that love the Harry Potter series so much that they have posters like these up somewhere. Yeah. But how much better would it have been to have like seven Drew Struzan like Harry Potter yeah. compositions? Like 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 we talk about Star Wars. Uh he did um the what was it, the the special re-release uh images mm-hmm. the, that uh that triptych of the three of them of um, you know, what, what was it? I forget what was the re-release for what was the reason for that with uh the special editions. The special editions, that's it. Yeah. Those are awesome, you know, and it's like I want those, you know, like so I just I didn't I know that like, it sounds like we're talking in circles of like, he's a great artist. We like his stuff. It's like, there's, there's so much marketing now. It's like, yeah, I'm going to go see this. I'm, I'm engaged. I'll go. But it's like, I feel like, like we just keep talking about this is, this is the, the memory. This is like the melody that floats through your head of a song that you like. You may not know all the words, but like you like it and you'll hear it, you know? And yeah. well, I mean, on the topic of star Wars um, and like, this is not a discussion about the films themselves, but Disney should really be ashamed of themselves that something like Star Wars isn't getting... And I realize that he says he's retired, but I'm guaranteeing that, you know, he would do it for Star Wars or the right amount of money. Um, but, like, episodes 7, 8, and 9 should have Drew Struzan posters. Well, and 7 so, kind of has did. one. Yeah, they they... they did a composition with him or something. And it's like, but even in like later in this book too, he talks about how he didn't like the idea of leaving his house and driving to go work on a computer. And it's like, he shouldn't have to, right. You know, like, you know, so, cause it's not how he works, you know, and the results speak for themselves, but yeah, like, so. And seven, I'm going to say this right now. I know they're making an Indiana Jones five. That poster better be a damn Struzan poster. Yeah, I would think so. Cause as much as, uh, Crystal Skull's maligned, you know, it. it's a cool poster. Oh, it's a great poster. Yeah. Um, like like Thomas Jane said in the documentary, because they brought him in, because he obviously... There's so many people in this documentary, like, it's crazy. Everyone's like, no, we'll talk about Drew. Um, but, yeah. I mean, Drew Struzan essentially played a version of him in The Mist. Well, yeah, yeah, Tom Jane played yeah. kind of, yeah. But he was talking about, like, he was going through an art book, and he pulled up the Masters Universe uh, poster. He was like, I want to see this movie. 
Not not like I'd never saw this movie. <laughs> like, right. So, He's like, like I, I saw the one that came out. I didn't yeah. see the one that's on this poster. Yeah. And so for something as as bonkers and as a variable budget that was Master's Universe, Drew Struzan made a badass poster for it. And it yeah. makes you want to watch that movie, you know. So um yeah, I just, you know, again, you, you this may not be the thing that revs your engine in terms of like why you like movies or whatever, but I'm willing to bet that like if, when I say back to the future, what do you think of this like the, the, you think of the image of Marty outside the DeLorean looking at his watch with like the, what just happened? Look like that is him. That's mm-hmm. Struzan's composition. That's his artwork. Like you can't separate that, you know? And like, so I just, I guess I just gotta say, it's like, he's still around and we just need to appreciate. I feel like, I feel like the eighties wouldn't be as looked back as fondly in certain ways if it wasn't for his artwork. Like, yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> the movies that you love, take a look at their artwork, and I guarantee you most of those posters are going to give you warm, fuzzy feelings because of your association with that poster and the movie. Um, and even some movies that you probably didn't like that much, like, God, that poster is so much better, you know, in the, the case of the Masters of the Universe. Uh, that poster is far better than that movie was, but man, that's a great poster. Yeah, you know it evokes a feeling, uh, it, uh, and that's the thing, uh, you know. And I, I guess you know it's it's I'm not in marketing, and you want to get somebody interested in your film, as long as they're buying a ticket, maybe you don't care. But like the posters of Drew Struzan evoked a feeling, whereas now it's just here's who's in it, here's when it's coming out, go buy it. Yeah, or you get like the teaser poster, like so to go back to Aladdin, the first teaser poster was of just the lamp, which. But by, by the way, if that was your final poster, like I would still be kind of okay with that because it's yeah. like that's hinting at something, and maybe you don't need to reveal every bit of the movie in the poster as well, you know. But I, I'm just trying to think maybe maybe Cloverfield that was very evocative because I it's don't like, remember the Cloverfield poster. It, it's of you just see in the distance, you just see the Statue of Liberty with its head missing, and you see kind of like some destruction in the background. Maybe that was one of them, you know, like. Um, even I, I still have not seen Kong Skull Island, but the, that was a cool looking poster, but you know, I think it was trying to evoke that kind of like, it is definitely a genre like specific type piece. I, it just, it's, it's frustrating cause I, I love going to the movies and I do like seeing, I feel like there's more effort put into the big, like 3d cardboard stand up stuff that happens. Some of those are pretty interesting looking, Yeah, but that's not the poster, right. you know? So yeah, I, I don't know. It's hard for me just to get across how much this means to me in terms of like his impact. And I still will probably not understand how much he has affected my appreciation and love of movies growing up. I don't think I ever will, you know, cause it's like you grow up you, and you just, you just absorb it because it's there. You don't think about what went into it, you know? And, um, yeah. Well, you know, instead of talking about the man, maybe we should go through, I asked Paul before we started to think of what his top five posters are of by Drew Struzan. Yeah. And I would, I would do the same. So maybe we should go through those and talk about how we feel about those posters. Do yeah, you want to so do them separately said, or do like your number five, my number five? Your... I, I, there might be some overlap, but okay. uh, so did you said you reached out to some people to get some, uh, Oh, some do you want to do that first? Um, 
I I don't know. Okay. I don't know how you want to do this. Okay, um, so yeah, I reached out to a couple of artists, um, some artist friends, and ones that I knew were uh, fans of Drewsters, and and asked them to, you know, I just mentioned that Paul and I get five, but I asked them to pick their favorite, um, just just one, um, and just to give you a, a little bit of you know. I don't know, a little bit of a flavor just that's something different than just myself and Paul talking. Um, but uh, the first one here, this this is uh, from Justin Stewart. Uh, Justin Stewart is a comic book artist. He's worked with Jim of Food. Some of the books that he's done are uh, Miami Vice Remix, Girl Scouts. He's done the Clerks comic with uh, uh, Jim of Food. Uh, he did uh, Howard the Human and uh, Web of Spider-Man at Marvel. He's even worked on uh, Little Depressed Boy. Um, and go check out his stuff at his art at his website. It's justin3000.com. Uh, and 3000 is numerical as in 3000. Um, but here's what he said. Um, Justin says, I was born in 1977, so by the time I was 10, I'm pretty sure I'd seen Drew Struzan's work on a multitude of VHS boxes as I scoured the local rental spot looking for my next action or horror movie fix. But it wasn't until I got an early issue of the Lucasfilm Fan Club magazine and read a story about Drew Struzan that I realized he was the man behind many of the images I'd seen and said to myself, man, that's so cool. And the coolest one of all, the Revenge of the Jedi movie poster. And I remember seeing that, and my mind exploded into millions of tiny lights, just like the Death Star. I was always a fan, even as a kid, of the villains. They always looked cooler, sounded cooler, and had a bravado about themselves that appealed to me. So when I saw the Revenge of the Jedi poster that featured Vader's helmet so prominently in that stark contrast of red and splattery black, I was all in on Drew Struzan. And the smaller figures in the lower right of the poster fascinated me, because here we see Luke with his back to us, on the defense and cast all in silhouette, whereas Vader was nicely rendered and has the high ground. Wonder where that comes into play later. <laughs> uh, the pinks and purples of the smoke star scuff surrounding the two frames. <clears throat> I'm sorry. Uh, the pinks and purples of the smoke starscraft surrounding the two frames within the whole of the composition without being too distracting from the main helmet image that makes the entire poster read perfectly. As an 11-year-old kid, I had no idea of any of that shit that was going on. Art school was still in a galaxy far, far away, so I didn't have knowledge or vocabulary to describe what it was that made me so into that image. All I could say then was, man, that's so cool, and I think that that statement still holds up. Nice. Um, yeah, thank you for giving me that quote, Justin. And I, th I think that you described that poster perfectly. Um, and that's that's what we're talking about when we say evoking a, f a feeling. You know, Justin was going on about how he didn't have the artistic vocabulary to talk about it, but he he got an impression and a feeling from that mm -hmm. poster. Um, and it, it far succeeded anything that, you know, a photo of Darth Vader would have done. Uh, the next one here, uh, this is from another friend of mine, Jake Murray. Uh, first, I just want to say Jake uh, is a painter. He's a phenomenal painter. Um, he's worked for Dark Horse Comics, Heavy Metal Magazine, uh, Fantasy Flight Games, Bethesda Softworks, and Lucasfilm. Um, go to his website, muir-art.com. Muir is spelled M-U-R-R-art.com. Um 
please go check out his work. He's got so much cool artwork on there, as does Justin's, if I didn't say that earlier. But um, this is what uh, Jake told me. Uh, his favorite piece was the Star Wars Special Edition triptych. Um, the first piece I remember seeing of Drew's that really struck me wasn't actually a movie poster at all. It was the cover he illustrated for the Star Wars novel Ambush at Corellia. I bought the book solely because I was blown away by the cover art and wouldn't actually read it until a number of years later. But when the Star Wars special edition films were released in theaters, Drew's poster work for them had me completely enamored. As a third grader, I was in college, he was in third grade, I hate myself. Uh, as a third grader who'd only ever watched Star Wars on VHS tapes, the explosive color and dynamic compositions of Drew's posters perfectly captured my excitement for these movies and cemented in my mind his work's place as a part of Star Wars canon. The way the three individual posters work together to form one massive composition encompassing the entire original trilogy really showcased not only Drew's exceptional design skills, but his ability to communicate a compelling story. Yeah, um, and you find out that he actually did each one of those like independent. Like by he, memory. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, whew. That's insane. Uh, the next one here is from our friend Jeff, mm-hmm. Jeff Ritchie of Fred Paints. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more about him, I'm sure, later in the show. But uh, Jeff says, I love, love, love the Star Wars triptych he did for the Star Wars Special Editions. But the Back to the Future poster is one of the most badass posters ever. It's so simple, but tells a whole story. Also, Big Trouble in Little China is mind-blowing. And then there's Hellboy. And personally, movie aside, the Phantom Menace poster is also a perfect image. Coloring, lighting, the fact that when you get close, it's got spots and streaks and streaks and dots everywhere. But when you stand back, it glows. I guess I can't just choose one. He is one of my heroes. Um, so Jeff went the, the 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 opposite direction where he was like, I can't pick one because I love it all. Yeah. Um, and then the last one here is my partner on the Saturday Night Slash, Ryan Cassandy. Um Ryan, uh, I know that he also loves uh, he loves Struzan an awful lot too, and we've had many discussions about him. Um, but he says, uh, I'm going to go with the episode two poster. Even though it's tied to the worst Star Wars movie, <laughs> the poster is epic. Uh, for him, also an honorable mention is the Black Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. I'm trying to reread that. Honorable mention is the Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, Black Sabbath, cover that he did as a young upstart painter yeah we talked about that briefly because of his doing work for music to begin with but yeah that's a very iconic image mm-hmm. and and then like i didn't realize that there was a backside to that cover that is also really cool yeah um there's so much of his work out there that's just utterly amazing and beautiful to look at there's a there's a private Facebook group um, that I you, you I'm sure if you just go and say hey I'd like to be part of this like they let you in as long as you don't you know do something stupid, it's the Drew uh, Drew Struzan fan archives I'm part of and people will just post like when they find things they will post uh, um, various like pieces that they found for him doing like advertisements for whatever and, I did um, not know of yeah this it's group. Um, they then people find like old, like hard to find things that he just, like sketches and other things he worked on. Uh, it's it's pretty cool. Like I don't ever really interact with it because I have nothing to bring to the table. But it's cool to see them people finding like there, there's a Titanic sketch that I you know that yeah. he did. Um, so there's some really cool stuff in here that people keep 
posting. So I'm sure if you guys are interested, if you go and ask, I'm sure they'll just let you in as long as you know you just are a nice person. Like it seems like there's uh, <laughs> and there's 500 people in it, so like no one's yeah. being no one's selling sunglasses or anything in it. So, um, so yeah. Um, all right. So yeah, we'll get to let's get to ours. Um, some of them have already been mentioned, um, okay. but yeah, like I. I, I don't know if we'll do like five to one because I feel like there might be some overlap, but I guess it doesn't okay. really matter. So I, I guess I'll do I'll do mine. So I sometimes I always try to think about like appreciation, but in regards to this, it's more like since I love the film that I'm sure this is a lot of it too. So I'm not going to go for like these deep cuts like I sometimes try to go reaching for. Uh, five's Temple of Doom. Like it's okay. not my favorite indie movie, but after thinking about it, it is the most evocative and it's a cool it's a cool poster. It's funny, I almost picked that for my number five, but I picked Last Crusade. Oh, there you go. See, yeah. Last Crusade is my favorite movie, yeah. um, but Temple of Doom is just... I, I appreciate that film the the older I get for whatever reason, because I feel like it, it's not a bad movie, but people, like, I don't know, like, people kind of shit on it like for a while there, and I don't know... Uh, Last Crusade or Temple no, of Doom? No, uh, Temple of Doom. Yeah, Temple of Doom, I mean, it's... Uh, how do I put this? Like... It's it's the unfortunate thing of I think what happens to Return of the Jedi a lot of time where it's like it's not Star Wars or Empire so it gets yeah. put down or it's like Temple Doom is sort of yeah it's not Raiders and it's not Last Crusade but it's still pretty damn good yeah <laughs> um, so all right my number four is Big Trouble in Little China okay because um, I, I love that movie and I just it's that Kurt Russell with the grin and the shirt like it's just you. The, like in that, in reading about like the composition of the uh, of the poster and and the, the art book, like Struzan was trying to get some of the more comedic stuff across. Like Jack Burton's holding a CB radio that has the cord cut. Like yeah. this whole thing of like it just you get kind of like you know. And there's things he actually put in the poster that no one asked for, but he's like, I want to put it in there. So I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, my number four uh, is a Frankenstein poster that he did. Now, admittedly, this wasn't for its theatrical release, obviously, because he was born after it came out. But uh, this was a Mondo uh, poster that he did, um, and it's an amazing, amazing piece. Um, it's no longer for sale, but <laughs> if you just Google Drewsters and uh, Frankenstein, it's, oh, it's so good. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, he did. Um, I was showing Steve as well. He did a creature from the Black Lagoon, like special print for like a comic shop. It's just awesome. Yeah. Um, so my number three is Back to the Future. Hey, what do you know? My number three, Back nice. to the Future. It's just again, like you can't <laughs> not separate that. Like it's just, it's awesome. Yeah. Like and uh, and there's been so many different times people have used that as like a parody. Like it's just it's so in, ingrained into that film. And then also, even though it's not, it wasn't obvious to the film studio at the time when they were doing two and three. He was like, hey. Why don't we just like, you know, for each poster, we had a person at first, the studio wasn't all about it. Like they added doc for the second yeah. one, but for the third one, they're like, eh, how about a horse? <laughs> and so there's an image that he did of like them with the horse looking over the shoulder of doc Brown, but they're like, no, 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 Mary Steve merger. We got to get her in there. And, like, and there's even a, a mock-up he does of where having, having Marty wearing like the pink uh, cowboy shirt and the bowler hat. Yeah. Like they're like, and then they changed it to his Clint Eastwood look. Okay. Um, but yeah, I like the idea. They're like, maybe we should have three people on the third poster. He's like, yeah. Like, I, but yeah, the original Back to the Future is it's just it's a it, it's a it, you can't unsee it. It's just it's yeah. iconic. It is it is the movie. It pops in your head whenever you think of the movie. Yeah. 
So uh, my number two, since that was your number three as well, uh, it's the Blade Runner re-release for the final cut. Okay. So he he did do our work originally for the first film, but that wasn't used, and it was the artist that we were talking about before we started recording. John um, Alvin. Yeah, which has the more like top-down of like the buildings, and you see Harrison Ford in the background. That's a cool image, too. I like that image as well. But the, when he did the final cut and the re-release, it's just it's just beautiful. Like it it um it just it tells the story of the movie or at least the mood of the movie. It it just I I want that frame somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like that's it's awesome. My number two is Mallrats. Uh, the Mallrats I, poster. I is, forgot. Even though I should remember that, I forgot that he did that. Yeah, the Mallrats poster is amazing. I I I think that. Uh, you know, he did a lot of comedy posters. He did some some great ones for, again, uh, where we're saying like, oh, posters better than the movie, the Police Academy films. But like, I love those Police Academy mm-hmm. film posters as well. Um, but Mallrats is just it's it captures that movie perfectly. Um, and it's even got like almost a comic book cover feel. It's got like a special appearance thing with you know Stan Lee in the bottom corner. And, yeah. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, and I mean, wasn't it, uh, who was it? Was it Del Toro or Spielberg? Someone was like, you, if you make a movie, like you almost like you, if Drew Stusen does the poster for the film, like that's why you make movies. Yeah. And then and then Spielberg said, if you make have Drew make the, the poster, it's like you better live up, like the movie better live up to the poster. Right. So that's <laughs> Spielberg saying that, you yeah. know, so... So yeah, uh, so my number one. If anybody knows me, it's not. An, it's not. A, it, it's very obvious. It's the thing, which is very different stylistically than some of the other posters we've been talking about. Yeah, and there's reason for that. Like he had no idea what was in the movie other than he'd seen the original, and they're like, "Yeah, can you have this done t- tomorrow?" And he's like, "Yes," and so. But it's something about that. Like there's not a scene in the movie where you have a guy in a parka with light shooting out of his face, but there's just this feeling of isolation and like unknown and just terror because it's like you can't see you know and and it's just it it gets the feeling of that movie and it's something that i've never been able to separate from the film is like i i love that poster yeah. and I, I i do need a print of that you know but yeah it's just awesome yeah. uh my last one we've already mentioned a couple of times so we don't have to talk about it too the much Goonies. Uh, oh. That Goonies poster is amazing. It almost made my list just because of the perspective on that. Yeah, it's is insane. crazy. Yeah. Um, but uh, Masters of the Universe. I can't think of another movie with a better poster. Like, And we're going to talk about Masters of the Universe later in the year, but uh, that poster is amazing. Um, and obviously the film is doesn't live up to that, but... Um, no, I it makes it makes Dolph Lundgren look heroic, and it makes Franklin Gela look like terrifying. Yes, like they're both powerful. They are both, dare I say, masters, masters. of the universe. It's what you would want yeah. from that movie. Uh, Thomas James put it best. I want to see that movie. Yeah. So, all right, um, that's going to do it for our talk about Drew Struzan. Like, yo, you should. So, also to speak to his uh, humility, there he actually has a page on Facebook, and he doesn't post to it, but people post things. There was like three pictures of him just acting, looking really embarrassed and gracious because of all the birthday wishes that people sent him. So it's like he doesn't have to post that on Facebook, but someone took a photo of him like almost covering his his face with his hands because he couldn't <laughs> believe it. So I, I think this part of social media has like shown a lot like that he knows that he's truly loved and appreciated. And again, if if, um, if you have a passing interest in 
you might love these things, but you may not know why. Take just take a moment, like watch the documentary, or just Google like his name and his artwork. And even though there's some some out there that aren't his that people try to say are his, yeah, you, you can see it when you see it, you know. And just appreciate because I mean, there's never going to be another one of him, you know. And uh, there's other there's other poster artists. Obviously, I know Steve. You said you wanted to mention a couple of them. That, yeah, I know. was just going to say, you know, um, absolutely, Drew's top of the the, the list. Um, I love his work so much. But uh, there are a lot of other artists out there who've done poster work that I would encourage you to look into as well. Um, Jack Davis, who was a EC Comics artist and did everything from Mad Magazine to TV Guide, did a lot of uh, screwball comedy type posters um, back in the seventies and. I think some of the early 80s. Um, he, um, I, I just got caught up. Uh, <laughs> uh, John Elvin, who is also an amazing painter, he did uh, um, E.T., the original Blade Runner poster, um, the Batman posters. He, he's done a lot of uh, that work at the same time Drew was working. I think that they were, I wouldn't say direct competition, but I feel like if it wasn't Drew Struzan, maybe the next person they went to was John Elvin. Um and you'd mentioned uh, Saul Bass. Yeah. Um, you know, not only just a wonderful uh, designer or artist, but also a designer. Um, there's so many this, logos. The guy, yeah. like, you, just, you didn't realize. But his his most famous thing to me is his uh, poster for Vertigo. Yeah. Uh, Hitchcock's Vertigo, which is there. It's His style, when it comes to that stuff, is very distinct. And mm-hmm. it's, but again, it evokes a feeling. And you just get the sense, like, of what it's all about. Yeah, and I would also say, uh, look at some of the stuff Bob Peak did. Um, most notable, he did uh, the uh, Star Trek, I believe, one through five. Those posters, um, and that Rathacon poster is that's my number one non Drew and poster. Mm-hmm. I love that poster so much. Yeah. All right, so if you guys have uh, some Drew Struzan uh, posters that you love, uh, just post on our Facebook um, and, and throw please, up some Drew Struzan work because yeah, yeah, we would love to see it. Re- re- yeah, remind me to to do the side by side with the Harry Potter. Like, I don't want to forget Absolutely. that. Um, and so I'll, I'll show people like what I'm talking about. Uh, but yeah, you can put, put that on Facebook. Um, we're Invasion of the Podcast. Uh, we have a blog, invasionofthepodcast.com, where I am rambling my way through some canon films right now. So if you want to see some really stupid gifts and some stupid words about uh, Treasure of the Four Crowns or um, oh New Year's Evil, go go check it out. Like I <laughs> like I literally was like, what was the other film? I'm like, oh that one. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so you can find us there. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, uh, Google Music, wherever you find your podcast. If you could rate us and review us, that would be great. Uh, I know iTunes makes it easier. Stitcher, you go like physically on the page, you can find it and rate it. That'd be wonderful. Uh, the the you know the the higher the ratings or the more ratings, the the more people will see us, uh, and maybe more people will check it out. So I would greatly appreciate that. Um, I will uh, be at Aladdin Sane, which is the tribute to David Bowie that our our friend uh, Jeff Ritchie is putting together. Uh, it is going to be um, May 9th, uh, at seven PM at the Bob Stop in Cleveland. Tickets are ten bucks. You know, like just yeah. I actually I bought my tickets today. Um, my wife is a huge Bowie fan. Uh, actually, one of her cats is named Bowie, so um, we thought about bringing him, but you know we're gonna leave him at home. Uh, it'll be just the two of us. But uh, yeah, we'll also be there. Um, looking forward to the show. And ten bucks can't beat it. Yeah, and I'll be there doing something. Uh, like I just probably shoving microphones in people's faces and be like, say something nice about Bowie and like, not the cat, you know, like whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's going to be awesome. Like it's going to be a night of uh, Bowie covers and like, like inspired artwork and just awesome people. And yeah, c- come check it out. Like I said, 10 bucks. Like you can't pass it up. Yep. 
Uh, and uh, we're on to me now. Yeah, I, I, okay. I was about to drink some more beer. I, I, I was like, yeah, and Steve Hawker people. Had... <laughs> Huck, Huck, you know, no, no, we're going to talk more about no Steve Hawker. I wasn't sure you. if we were still talking uh, uh, about Aladdin Saint. Uh, so check me out on uh, the Saturday dot com. You can also find me on Instagram under the Saturday Night Slasher or Twitter under the um, Saturday Slasher. Um, coming up, I've got conventions coming up in Westlake, Ohio, May thirty first through June second is going to be Retro Invasion Weekend. Uh, I go down the guest guest list every week. Let me just say, you know, again, Joe Bob Briggs, Diane Franklin, Robert Kurtzman, Courtney Gaines, Mark Metcalf, artist Gary Pullen, myself, and Ryan Cassandy all in one place. You got to come check it out. Uh, and then uh, June 29th and 30th in Hudson, Ohio, I'm going to be at Dark X Fest. Uh, Dark X Fest. Uh, guests are going to be Caroline Williams, Bill Johnson, John Dugan, Dan Yeager, Felissa Rose, and more. Big Texas Chainsaw Massacre reunion going on there. Check those shows out as well. And obviously, come see me. Say, hey, I heard you on Invasion of the Podcast. I like the cut of your jib. <laughs> and I, I saw that uh, you guys are working on something else right now. Yeah. yeah. Um, actually, uh, before we started the Saturday Night Slasher, we had an anthology that we'd put together a while ago um, called Beyond Sunset. And it just, ironically, we thought the artwork was lost and recently found it in my garage. <laughs> um, so we are going to, I'm rescanning all the artwork and relettering it, coloring some things that have never been colored, um, just actually revealed the cover, uh, which was in, originally in black and white because that's what we could afford to print it in at the time. Um, so we're going to have that definitely at the upcoming show. Um you know, we're still working on the next issue of the Saturday Night Slasher as well, but this was a good way to have old and new artwork put together in this anthology. So there's going to be some new stuff going in there as well that wasn't in the original printing. So um, it'll be it'll be ready for uh, uh, all of the stuff we got coming up in May and June. Nice. Perfect. All right. So that's it. That's how you can find us and, and do all the things and, and pay all the money and all that. Now, now it's time for spring break. Time to play the game. Time to play the game! <laughs> Spring break! Woo! Uh, my wife does that every time, no matter where we're going uh, for vacation. Like it could be October, and she's like, "Woohoo, spring break!" There. So here's a really nerdy side story. So, like, talk about World of Warcraft earlier. There's a uh, was every month. There's this like fair that shows up called the Dark Moon Fair, and it shows up like once for one faction, like in one month, and then I'll show up for the other faction another month. So it used to be like kind of like travel, like a like a circus, right? And one of the I just remember one of the times early on when I was playing that game, I went to the fair. All I had was put my boots on my character in a cape. And all, so it was just him running around his underwear. And I just kept yelling spring break in the game and running around. And people were getting annoyed. But I'm just like, spring break. And they were just like, shut up. So, Because uh, I would never do that in real life. But I definitely was running around with just underwear, a cape, and boots. That's, that, and I really kind of want to live my life that way. I was so. going to say, next cosplay. Because <laughs> yeah, you can drink alcohol in the game and get drunk. And it's like, so you can see. And like when you type like when you type dialogue, it comes out like a little bit of gibberish. And it was just like, I look like this, this drunken idiot with the cape running around this fair <laughs> and i don't regret it so anyway that was my virtual world not real world so yes all right well today is the first day of spring yes and thank, uh thank whatever deity you believe in uh well uh we technically don't get spring break anymore since we have jobs in real lives unfortunately yeah. 
um, we don't get spring break. But I figured what a great way to bring in spring by having a quiz about spring break. So I'm going to test your mental knowledge of spring break. Okay. All righty. So I, I think this first question, you know, uh, particularly for our gen- generation, I think MTV was pretty much synonymous with uh, Spring Break back in the day. Uh, but the first MTV televised Spring Break was in what year? Uh, 1984, 1985, 1989, or 1991? 91. It was 86, oddly enough. Oh, okay. So pretty early into their run. Um, which, you know, back then I remember it specifically being like... Just a lot of shots of people like drinking and hanging out on the uh, like by pools and stuff. Yeah, because so. were they in Lake Havasu at that point? I know that was like the big thing. For you a know, while. I feel like it was Lauderdale, but I could be wrong. Okay. Uh, the second question here was Dan Cortez there. <laughs> I'm sure he was at some point along in downtown Shore. Julie Brown. Yes, Polly Shore, downtown Julie Brown, Dan Cortez, and Kennedy before she got weird. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a, the second question is actually related to the first. During that first year, what band performed? Was it A. Run DMC, B. Dexy's Midnight Runners, C. Beastie Boys, D. Mister Mister. Oh, eighty six. Uh, I'm gonna say Beastie Boys. You are correct, okay. um, but also Mister Mister. I gave you two options <clears throat> in there, which is a weird like. Combo. Like, who, who's going to take these broken wings? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's all I know about Mr. Mister. Yeah. <laughs> all righty. So this next one here is similar, but it's actually about the um, beginning of actual spring break. So uh, when when did modern spring break start? Okay. And there's a little bit of history with each of these. So uh, number one is 1929. Uh, spurred on by the Great Depression, Spring Break was initiated as a way to take the public mind off of the economic crisis and encourage, and encourage spending across the nation. Number two, uh, 1936, a swimming coach at Colgate University brought his team to Fort Lauderdale to train. As a result, an annual swimming competition soon followed, as well as swimmers' less aquatic friends coming along. C, or three, uh... Two, Whatever. C. Yeah. Uh, 1945, after the end of World War II, the U.S. government initiated the, idea, initiated the idea of spring break as a way to get families back to normalcy. After the toll of the war waned, the children who grew up with the idea took over spring break as they reached college age. Or D, 1976, in an effort to increase sales, Anheuser-Busch ran promotional incentives to sponsor vacation destinations to college-age patrons under the guise of promoting fitness and health for recreational purposes. I, I just I mean none of those involve VD, so that's really what I'm confused <laughs> about. Uh, you know, like because I don't, like thinking of like through popular media, I you know I don't really think of Spring Break as something I see in like the TV shows or movies of the '60s because you think that'd be something mm-hmm. that's an easy jumping off point for a monster movie or whatever, right? So I'm gonna go to the '70s. Okay, uh, it was actually 1936. It was the swim coach. Uh, uh, who that was the one team. I believed least. Actually, okay. I don't know why. <laughs> That, that was the one that had the most facts, so apparently I did a better job of making up facts. Uh, the, the next one that I've got here uh, is a pretty simple one. It's, uh, what is the average amount of alcoholic beverages and average male drinks on spring break? Is it 8, 13, 18, or 21? 21. You were close, 18. Yeah. So, I mean... 
I guess that's what, why they invited invented the eighteen pack. I don't know. I don't know. I just feel like I feel like that's a low number uh, for when we go to the Cinema Wasteland. Sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, convention coming up in a couple of weeks. Yeah, and I got a room there, so it might be more than twenty one. I don't know. We'll have to be yeah. sure to yell out "Spring Break" while spring we're there. Spring Break. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I have a cape and I have boots. And I could definitely have not pants. All right. You heard it here first, uh, Wastelanders. <laughs> it's just going to, I don't, you know, as much as it would be great to be like, why is that fat, <laughs> fat, overweight man running around with his boots and a cape? I have a feeling that I don't want to be known as the, the, the overweight fat guy running around with boots and a cape. <laughs> All right. I guess that's my job now. Um, <laughs> we'll, take, we'll take turns. Yeah. So the next question here. They'll never suspect two fat guys. <laughs> <laughs> boots and a cape and it's like oh I can't just be I can't be just more than one yeah. <laughs> uh, which of these is not the, what, uh, yeah. which of these is not the top destination for US spring breakers is it A. Panama City B. Cancun C. Daytona Beach or D. Detroit Michigan <laughs> Detroit Michigan <laughs> yes that's correct <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this next one here, which of these statements is true? Every year during spring break, a small number of college students die from falling off balconies. B, Cheetos are the number one snack of spring breakers. C, craft beer sales stall completely during the months of March and April due to beer sales of larger, cheaper domestic beers, Miller Lite, Bud Light, PBR, etc. Or D, in Fort Lauderdale, the number of reported genital-related injuries <laughs> quadruples the number of injuries within the rest of the year. So which one of those is true? Yeah. Oh. Huh. Um, what was the first one again? Every year during spring break, a small number of college students dies from falling off of balconies. That sounds about right. Yeah, that is right, actually. Okay. Uh, I just want to point out, especially you did not include Coors Light in your uh, <laughs> listing of beers. And we're drinking it this evening. I know. I just want to... Spring break. Yeah. <laughs> I just like the, the, the fact that uh, genital-related injuries would quadruple. <laughs> I, I think that's probably also true. Like, I've seen Piranha 3D. There you go. And Jerry O'Connell's... Uh, O'Connell doesn't quite make it, you know, so... That's um, true. Yeah. Uh, this next one here. Uh, which celebrity said the following? Spring is nature's way of saying, let's party. Is it A, Robin Williams, B, Matthew McConaughey, C, Jason Mewes, or D, Britney Spears? Britney Spears. It's actually Robin Williams. <laughs> sure. <laughs> He's probably also like cocaine's way of saying let's party, you know, whatever. All right. Now, this one's actually film specific. Okay. Uh, I consider this to be a spring break movie because of the time in which it takes place. Excuse me. Uh, Revenge of the Nerds 2, Nerds in Paradise. Which of these characters is known as Booger from Nerds in Paradise? Is it A, Frederick Aloysius Palowski? B, Stan Gable? C, Dudley Dawson? D, Harold Wormser? So basically, what is Booger's real name? It's C, isn't it? Yeah, Dudley yeah. Dawson. I just, I just was like, hmm. Like I, I just, I don't know why I know that, but it, yeah. Yeah, the, the first one, Frederick Aloysius uh, Palowski is Ogre. Okay. <laughs> uh, which of these is not a real Spring Break movie? Is it A, Fraternity Vacation? B, Spring Breakdown? C, Bikini Spring Break? Or D, Spring Fake? <laughs> 
Uh, spring Breakdown. No, that one's real. Oddly enough, Amy Poehler's in that for some reason. Oh, that's uh, right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, spring Fake is my uh, spring Oh, spring well, that break was movie too that obvious. Okay. <laughs> All right. We're on to our last question here. You, you're you doing... Well, I wouldn't say you're doing well because I don't know how many... I don't right, know. But... Like, I'm surprised you didn't put a computer beach party in there or something. <laughs> yeah. All righty. So this last one here, um, where did Spring Break originate? Was it A, Ireland, B, Greece, C, Canada, D, USA? Uh, USA, right? Because you talked about the swim coach taking the team. Oddly enough, uh, it started in Greece because it says Greek and Roman celebrations of spring, known in ancient times as season of fertility and new beginning. <laughs> spring festivities in We're going to do Rome. it and a baby's coming, so that that's, that's what that means. <laughs> Revolved around honoring Dionysus and Bacchus, the uh, god of wine. Yeah, Dionysus, Dionysus, yeah, the goddess of wine, right? Like, uh, yeah. Something. I don't know. The goddess of partying down. Yeah. Goddess of toga. So I hope you're all now uh, well informed on your spring bake. uh, Spring bake. That's what I do. That's that's what I do during that week um, at spring bake. Do a lot of baking? Yeah. I mean, it's not not in the kitchen, though, even though that oven's pretty goddamn hot. (laughs) Things are going to happen one day. All right. So, yeah, that's going to do it for us this, this week. Uh, next week, uh, we consider a year of the canon. I know it was kind of a short month because we took a we took a week off. So you guys really thought you're like, you know what? We were just we just talked about canon. We're going to talk about some more canon. That's so right. we're going to do that. So this time we got Chuck Bronson. Yes, we got Mr. Charles Bronson, uh, Mr. Eating Chicken Out of a Can Bronson. Um, we're, it doesn't happen in this movie. I don't think I've not seen this one. Steve has seen it. He's he lent me his copy. I can affirm it does not happen. Oh, then I don't want to watch it. Uh, so we're going to be watching 1983's 10 to Midnight with Mr. Charles Bronson, where it's it's him playing a cop stalking him trying to stop a serial killer. Is that what the gist of it is? Yeah, naked okay. serial killer. Naked wearing cape and a and some boots yeah. is what's going to happen. Like I did not know. So that's going to do it uh, next week. So we're going to we're going to do you're the canon 10 to midnight. Uh, that's going to do it for us this week. Have have a safe week, and um, I don't know. Uh, go go appreciate some Drew Struzan, goddammit. Yes. <laughs>